You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Hey there, all you triathlon studs and studettes. This is Coach Brett with another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we take the world's most complicated sport and try to simplify it so that you can find yourself through endurance. All right, we have a great show, chock full of really cool stuff. First up, we have an interview with Hilary Biscay and Thorsten Rad, who is the numbers and statistics guy behind a whole lot of triathlon analysis. And we're talking about 50 women to Kona, 50 pro women to Kona, and how competitive is the women's field really? And what, what are their next steps and, and what's been going on and what's happening and how you can help out. It's a really cool interview. I'm really excited about it. Have them both on the phone at the same time. And then after that, we have a nice chat with Tawny Prezak about, I don't know, just about everything that's going on in the sport and with her and, and with Endurance Planet, all kinds of cool stuff. And by the way, she's doing a piece on me, a series of shows uh, trying to straighten out my nutrition. On uh, And actually, our talk on this show, which you're about to hear, is when we start talking about that and come up with the idea. And uh, so anyway, there's already an episode out of Endurance Planet where it's, I don't know, like about 45 minutes with me, with her trying to analyze (laughs) the mind of Brett and how I eat and how I train. It's pretty cool. And we're just barely getting started. And then after that, we go into the training log where I take you with me on a whole lot of training excursions while I'm going to and from workouts. And I do a breakdown of the Galveston 70.3, basically a preview, a race analysis with all kinds of tips so that you can have a great time at the Galveston race. It's a very unique race. And if you're doing a race that's uh, similar, then the tips will also help you out. And they give you an idea of the kind of things that a faster age grouper uh, if you want to get faster, these are the kind of things that an age grouper that has finally gotten faster over the years uh, thinks about to be competitive and uh, things that will really, really help out. So it's pretty cool. And I guess I should introduce myself. Why are you listening to Zen and Yard of Triathlon? Well, this is the longest running podcast about endurance sports in the world. We've been going 10 years or so by now. And I am an age grouper that uh, trains for Ironmans full-time. I'm also a full-time dad and hold down a full-time job. And so I am getting it all done, and I try to share the world of doing triathlon successfully with you so that you can do it too, so there's more of us out there. It's a lot more fun with more people getting it done. And I've done all kinds of crazy stuff, Uh, 13 Ironmans, most of them self-supported probably, and not probably self-supported, but probably, I'm trying to think of the ratio that I've done. And then um, uh, ultra marathoning, fifty mile, lots of 50 milers, 100 miler, and uh, ultra marathon swimming. I uh, swam 22 miles across Lake Tahoe. 
south to north, and I'm trying to think of anything else crazy that I've done uh, worth mentioning. Swam a 2.4 miles butterfly <laughs> across a lake <laughs> in a wetsuit, a full wetsuit, just to see if it could be done. So that's the kind of show you're getting into, and it's great to have you along. So let's go ahead and get started with a little bit of triathlon news. Here we go. All right, first up, we're going to do a little bit of ultramarathon news, just briefly, because there isn't much of it, because nobody finished this one race. The Barkley Marathons is considered probably the hardest ultramarathon in the world, because hardly ever does anybody actually finish the thing. And it's in eastern Tennessee, in the Appalachian Mountains, in the Smokies, I bet. And it is really brutal out there. And the race got started many, many years ago, when some prisoners escaped from a from a prison, and they'd been on the loose for quite a few days, and when they finally found them, found them, they, uh, they'd only made it like a mile or two from the prison because the terrain was so rough. And then a local athlete thought, wow, that sounds like it's really terrible out there. We should have a race in the exact same place. So they started, they started this, and it's called the Barkley Marathons. I'm not sure exactly why. But this race has been going on, I don't know, like 20, 30 years, something like that. But rarely does anybody actually finish. It's 100 plus miles and you run this loop and there's no, there's no established trail. So you have to go up and down extremely rough terrain uh, with underbrush, all kinds of crazy crap in there. And at, the, uh, at each point along the quote unquote trail, which there isn't one, but at each point, and you need a map, and, and it's just crazy. Um, you uh, rip a page out of a book, and then when you get back to the main aid station after you run a loop, and I think you run three loops, uh, you turn in a page from the book, from these books that you go through to prove that you went. And the of course, the books are named horrible things, you know, so that uh, to really drive home the point that you're out there. And yeah, nobody finished this year. So if you're looking for a challenge, look up the Barkley marathons and give it a go. They have a fun run, which I think is like 50 something miles. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people don't finish that either. All right. We have some sad news. A 52 year old died in the Lava Man triathlon. And, and I believe that's a Olympic, an Olympic distance uh, in Kona, actually. And I, I think he was a Canadian, a businessman. I don't know how many triathlons he'd done before or anything like that. But um, this really uh, drives home the point that the swim in triathlons can be uh, really uh, dangerous um, in spite of plenty of training. I don't know if it was his first or he'd done a bunch. That doesn't seem to really matter quite so much. It's more of a cold water shock, wetsuit tight around the upper chest, um, and adrenaline uh, can apparently cause a out-of-control spiral of maybe endorphin and uh, adrenaline reactions that gives you a heart attack or, or something. They're, they're still trying to figure out exactly what happens. Um, but it really goes to show that uh, there should be strong consideration for wave starts and uh, trickle-in kind of starts instead of these massive 2,000-person uh, starts in triathlons and um, like the big Ironmans. And I really think that there should be a qualifier swim for Iron Man. It just blows my mind that there is no qualifier for an open for an Iron Man. It's just crazy that there's not. If you try to go sign up for an open a massive open water swim, 
um, what that's a long distance swim in the open water swimming world with no biking and running after it. A lot, most of the time, they want to see a qualifier. They want to see that you've done something at least half the distance, and you got to prove it. Uh, you got to show them the race results. And uh, the fact that Ironman doesn't require it is uh, is really. I think that it's dangerous, and I think that it's odd. And um, I definitely recommend, of course, you would go do races before you go do this. Um, but a lot of people sign up for Ironmans um, and haven't really done uh, much swim training, and then they find themselves in a lot of trouble. And I, I try to not point out problems without a solution. And Ironman seems to be in love with making money. So I think Ironman ought to have, and a lot of these races ought to have qualifier swims where you pay and then you swim in a group uh, probably in the location or something nearby, um, or you s- swim something similar, and uh, you finish under a certain amount of time, and there's somebody watching, and they say they check you off and go, yep, this guy can swim, and that $30 that you pay or something like that goes into the pocket of Ironman or the race itself, and um, but then you've proven that you've uh, you can swim it, and also... Um, the race gets a little bit of money as well, and then you get a little bit of confidence knowing, and then you get seated in the race in the correct time uh, based on your previous times. How about that? Wouldn't that be cool? So let's keep pushing for that and see if we can get that going. Because Ironman Texas, another piece of news, Ironman Texas is going to be a rolling start swim, and that means people just funnel into the water and start going, and it's chipped time. The start is basically off the... Uh, the time on your ankle as you cross the timing mat as you start your swim. And if you had done a an Ironman or a test swim before, they could seed everybody properly, and it would be really, really cool. But as it is now, you're just saying what you think you're going to swim, and I think people find themselves in a lot of trouble, and that would be nice. Okay, anyway, um, Ironman Pre- Princeton 70.3 has been canceled. The news that was released was they couldn't get bike permits for the town. And that sucks. And what I thought was funny was Challenge immediately put out an ad that said, uh, got the Princeton blues? <laughs> Challenge Poconos is right up the highway. <laughs> Check us out. And I thought that was genius marketing. It was so cool. All right. So that's a lot of the uh, triathlon news. Lots of other stuff. You can go to Slow Twitch. Trath- I go to Slow Twitch, triathlete, or tri- yeah, triathlete.competitor.com and pick up the tri news there. Lots of stuff there. And yeah, uh, Endurance Planet is doing a series on me. And we'll see how far we get with Tawny trying to tell me what to do. And at one point during the latest show, I laugh. I'm like, you really got your work cut out for you, don't you? (laughs) So go check that out. I'm a big fan of Tawny, and uh, she's doing some kick-ass stuff, so go check her out. All right, let's go ahead and get started with the interviews. First, we're going to go with Hilary Biscay, who has done, I think, like 63 Ironmans. Hilary really knows what she's doing, and she runs a successful clothing line that uh, could definitely uh, use your eyeballs. Go check them out, Smash Fest Queen, and make some great-looking stuff. And then uh, Thorsten Rad also is there on the phone, and we talk about everything, everything about the depth of the field and the competitiveness of women and should it be considered and what should and what should not be considered uh, in getting 
50 women pros to Kona and the fairness of it and the unfairness of uh, different different solutions and what might actually work. It's a really cool interview. I'm stoked to have it on. So let's go ahead and get started with that. Here we go. Welcome to the next level. Yeah, um, I, yeah. Let me let me try and add her in. Okay. Hello. Oh, there she is. Hey. Hi. Sorry, my phone didn't even ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we probably tried to call you so often that that the phone got confused. I guess. There. Oh my gosh! I, I finally just like pulled up my Skype thing and was like, "Where are they?" And then I saw I had missed calls. <laughs> what What's so funny nowadays is with the the time zones and the technology of sometimes your your microphone is muted. You know, and You'll think you're talking oh. to some, you're talking to somebody, and then you're not. They can't hear you, and they think that you're not there. It's pretty funny. So, oh yeah, you have to have a lot of patience, you know, with everything to make sure. Totally. Isn't that what we triathletes do? Have patience. <laughs> right. It seems, it seems for some of us more lately than others. Yeah. Well. Yeah. We're, we're, we're good at experiencing waiting for good things to happen. Yes. Impossible things don't happen immediately is a quote I heard. The impossible doesn't happen immediately is a quote I actually heard this morning. Things take time. So Sounds like a good right, one to have. Right, Hillary? Exactly. <laughs> okay, so I am really excited to have you both on the show. Uh, Hillary, if you can hear those birds, there's like birds flocking right outside of my car it seems like but uh and i'm recording outside hillary to because yeah, someone a... seems to be sitting in a car too is that you hillary uh i'm i am i am literally walking from the pool to my car as awesome we speak, this so is yeah triathlon lifestyle also outside um it's such a pretty day outside today so i figured i'd be outside but the um the thing i wanted to talk about uh is several things because thorsten has uh the analytical background uh, the diagnostics to talk about how the this idea that women aren't or are as the women's field isn't or is as competitive as the men's field and also Hillary's experience with the uh board that she she was on and first off uh Hillary I want to say that I don't know if you saw my tweet a long time ago when I suggested that the first thing that the women for try uh, board would do when appointed by Iron Man is to have a short meeting and then conclude that there is no board needed and to re everybody resign at once. <laughs> because it's, Wait, no, I definitely missed that tweet. Okay. Because I was like, that's the very first thing they should do. And that would send a message and that, oh, and, and that it's a stalling technique. Uh, trying to make it look like there's change, but it's taking too long. And it's the answer's obvious, is that it's not equal. And this is what we say, yep. and the first thing we should do is quit. Now, you did something that I think was both, you know, because I was acting just on a gut reaction and trying to be a little, you know, inflammatory. But uh, <laughs> your your quote or response or whatever was much better, where you said, that you basically had better things to do is the way it, it came across, you know, like this, this isn't being, this isn't being productive and it made it look like you really, that you did have 
you had more important ways to make stuff happen than what was going on right here. So what do you what do you yeah. have any comments on that or or corrections or anything like that? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I, I guess that's that's it in a nutshell. You mm. know, I mean, I I thought I thought it was kind of I thought I would try to like to, you know, do, do things by the book and like sort of sort of, you know, go go about things um, like go straight to the source and, and try to make things happen you know, working with the WTC, right? you know, take, take them sort of give them the benefit of the doubt that they, you know, maybe did have our best interest in mind. And I thought, great, if we can try to work with them, that's, that's ideal, obviously. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, unfortunately, as I think many of us were afraid of, um, I ultimately concluded, you know, pretty quickly that, um, there wasn't going to be a whole lot of opportunity to actually make things happen, you know, as part of that board. So, so yeah, I, I felt like there were sort of um, other venues um, for for making change and helping to promote women yeah. in our sport, um, other places where my time would be better spent for sure. Yeah. 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 And you know, I was I was trying to imagine myself in your shoes a little bit, and on one hand. I would be honored to be picked to be on the board. You know, like they picked you. And that means that they really value your opinion and that means you're somebody important in the industry. And then you know you give it a try and kind of see what kind of impact you can have. Right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I I I felt like it would be a bit hypocritical if I just you know, sat back on my Twitter and was like, oh, WTC stole our prize money from Ironman Wisconsin and boo, we don't have equal, equal Kona slots and complain about this and that. If I didn't, right. then also like, I, I can't, I don't, I didn't feel like I could just like sit back and talk unless I like were willing to fill out my application for the board and, 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 you know, put my hand up to, to work together with them. Right. Yeah. Um, but it very I, you know, unfortunately, I very quickly realized that <laughs> they weren't really all that interested in working with us, but rather I felt like they they wanted us, you know, sitting there looking pretty yeah. so they could say they had a women's board, exactly. which is something that I was not interested in being a part of. Yeah, it seemed like just symbolic and uh, and to me a stalling, yeah. a stalling technique and just waiting for everything to die down. And... Uh, the al Also, the thing that I found... That's a great way to describe it, yeah, it, yeah. And and again, I'm just coming from the outside, way outside, uh, looking in. And but the you know by the time I get news, it's been you know rehashed and refiltered and and uh, rewritten a million different ways. So but the um, the thing where they said, well, we'll allow more women spots. Like was it ten more or something like that? Like up to forty five. <laughs> if we if we volunteered if we yeah. if, if those individuals also spent a spent a day of service because now, being were they, in the top fifty women in the world was not enough to just yeah. qualify them on their own. Now were the they guys to do community service? Were the guys going to have to do community service? <laughs> no, of right. course not. Okay, no. so my opinion on that was what this <laughs> this really if if you're clued in to what this actually is, it made me feel like 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 this. Yeah, you can come watch us boys play, 
but yeah. but make some sandwiches for us while on on the way. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it was that was that that was pretty painful. I'm not yeah. going to lie. That was that was pretty yeah. um disturbing okay so you've started the willingness of of some of the women actually to take that um kind of poison cookie and even run with it shows that a a lot of people were really hoping for improvements in the number of slots that the women had there that they'd even consider taking that offer uh, however open that was and and go with it and try to do the best with it. Um, I mean that that shows a lot how how much yeah. hard a lot of people put into that um, more equal slots as they are now. Yeah, because sometimes you're 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 willing to take any improvement because you think you're starting some improvement. You know, sure. So you could sure. T- I can totally understand. You know, the point of view of of okay, let's let's try this and keep moving at least moving forward. You know, so um, then. Uh, so there's this other website and movement that started up, and people can recognize it with the 50, but the zero is the letter Q. Is the Q for qualify, or what does the Q stand for in the in the five? You got Q? it. Okay. So yeah, 50 qualifiers. 50 qualifiers, and um, you can start seeing these all over the place, and um, so there's like there's like uh, the press on tattoos and the shirts, but it all comes from this other group that's gotten together called tryequal.com and uh hillary you're you're a member of that are you a founding member is it you and rachel joyce or or what's going on with that yep yep um it's a whole bunch of us actually Uh it's uh thorsten and a bunch of uh powerful women (laughs) and uh, (laughs) um i'm the token guy in there right yeah 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 yeah. he's a he's a very valuable asset you know um it was a bunch of us who were all kind of working on our own, really, like since last summer, since uh-huh. we didn't get the extra slots, you know, last summer, that's when this kind of started. Um, and we were all like working sort of in, in parallel. Um, you know, one of the women had started the at 50 women Tacona Twitter account uh-huh. and, you know, and you know, Sarah was writing her blogs and um, we were all doing different stuff with with the same aim you know thorsten was was doing his his research and you know so much of which supported our cause and mm-hmm. publishing that and um so we were all doing this stuff kind of in parallel and it wasn't until really until kind of the women for tri board formed and you know the need arose to sort of lobby them that all of us who had kind of been working on our own came together sort of working towards that and then when when that failed, we realized, okay, like, <laughs> hey, we're all working on the same thing. We've all kind of now started collaborating. Yeah. Um, and I, I know a ton of us were, were all individually pinging Thorsten for, for various um, things, certainly, <laughs> right. you know, on, on the, to the extent that we needed to prove our worth, you know, statistically and all of that. So, um, so yeah, we, we all just finally decided, okay, we need to join forces. Uh-huh. We're all kind of finally, like, starting to work together. there now because it was it was all a matter of just kind of realizing that the other ones were all out there and we were all working on the same stuff that we yeah. we decided to you know kind of convene like in, in a more official way and form yeah. um our own group to hopefully get some things done there's um i forgot the name of the podcast but i learned something 
so interesting the other day. Um, and it's women in science and women in science and history or something like that, uh, is the topic. And the, f the first electronic computer was built by the U S army. And when they built yep. it, they, it was ENIAC, E-N-I-A-C maybe. And, um, they, when they were done, they paraded around, paraded out in front of the media or whatever, all the men you know, that built all the hardware. It was fancy. And then that was all that was really presented. And it was amazing. Then turns out that all the programmers that actually wrote all the, that did all the flipping of the switches and did all the calculations, all of them were women. And what, it, what I find so interesting is how this has flipped <laughs> now. Though <laughs> These women have all gotten together and are pushing this, and then Thorsten is the guy behind the scenes that's doing all the calculations <laughs> for you guys. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And to think that things will always be the same, and to just kind of go with the status quo, and it'll all be the same. Like, the world can flip upside down, and something that we're, you think everything's okay because you're not being oppressed or whatever, you could be next, you know, and to fight, to fight, yeah. for, fight for equality because it, things... One, they don't, they won't stay the same, and they don't have to be the same. I just think it's really interesting. Um, so, Thorsten, what's totally? No, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, um, all six women were the original programmers of ENIAC. All of them were women, and um, and all that's really cool. Before programming was done electronically, it was all done by women on paper, and this is all ballistics calculations for bomb dropping and firing uh, guns and all kinds of stuff. That's what the U.S. Army used. So um, There's similar stuff that happened in, in Great Britain with all the code breaking that um, the, the, the latest movie by, uh, made, made popular. Um, uh -huh. And that, that, that's all top secret stuff. And I think the movie doesn't really show all the women that were behind it because they did the actual, well, preparations and calculations, getting, getting the computer to run the uh -huh. code breaking part. And there's a lot of interesting history in the early parts that where women were just doing the all the grunt work yeah. because the men were away in, in World War II fighting for for the different countries, and they were left at home and had to pick up the pieces there. Yeah. And a lot of interesting stuff being done by a lot of women, and some of them known to the public, some of them really not at all. Yeah, the so women. Hopefully this will be different this time. And yeah, in my field, I do map making. In my field, the women were doing in World War Two probably world war one world war two were doing all of the um analysis of photography mm -hmm. and all the map all the cartography and map making too it's fascinating so um thorsten i got some questions for you what what uh, tell us more about this competitiveness and and depth i mean there's been a couple races recently where the women's top 10 was closer together and is that than the men's and then is that is that kind of what we're looking for, for an example, or how do we know depth and mm -hmm. how do we know depth, or how do we know competitiveness? Um, yeah, that's with the women. Really, a tricky question because um, it's it's really really hard to compare the men's results and the women's results and Kona qualifications and KPR points and mm -hmm. times and so on, because essentially it's two different um, types of races. Um, there's there's a lot of influences, for example, that the number of Kona qualifiers has on how women have to set up their season. Um, so 
if you uh, the the way it works now with 50 slots for the men and 35 for the women obviously the women have to have need more points to actually make it to Kona to get to a Kona slot right um that's that's i guess the obvious part but the less obvious part is that this will also mean that um doing the smaller ironman races is just not interesting for a number of the of the women who are on the bubble of qualifying because mm-hmm. the 2000 points doesn't really make uh, much of a difference for them they need in the order of 5,000 points to make it to Kona. And even if you win two of the smaller Ironman races, you still don't have enough points for, for to make it to Kona. So a lot of the women um, will, instead of going to the smaller Ironman races, go to the big regional championship races where we saw the big fields uh, such as uh, in South Africa and Melbourne. And I guess Texas, I don't know, I, I heard rumors that there's going to be more than 100 uh, pros racing there. Uh, that'll be a crazy field. And then we have Brazil and Frankfurt that'll also have really, really strong fields. So um, it's it's really hard to compare, say, a race like New Zealand, where you had, I think, about 20 uh, men racing there and seven women, I think, mm-hmm. and use that as an example of, of representational, uh, how, how things are between the men and women, or compare that to uh, Melbourne or South Africa, where you almost had the same number of women pros racing and finishing um, than, than there were men. So it's really, really hard to compare because it's, it's just two different things the way the system works right now yeah i can Um, think of another example like if you try to compare the final results at kona let's say the top 10 or 20 well then you've mm -hmm. got the the women's field is more exhausted by the time they get there so yeah that's one thing and they're not racing as well and also because there's there's less women um if you look at it statistically you'll end up with bigger differences time differences between all these athletes and that's also a tricky thing. You can't just look at the time difference between, say, first and tenth, or or percentage between first and tenth, because that only is a useful comparison if you have the same number of athletes on the start line, at least. And as long as the numbers are different, we'll also end up with bigger differences on on the female side, um, for sure. Yeah. So you have a different number of athletes. You have different points available. Um, so that'll totally change behavior. Um, so um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it just makes it so hard to uh, compare the the depth uh, between men and women, and it's it's just not not fair to use an example of say New Zealand or, or Wales last year, where I think we only had two women uh, on this or two pro women on this on the start list, and say well there's there's just not enough women out there because counter example the big races. Um, show that there's a lot of women and I mean you can argue whether the men's or women's race was more interesting I'd say it was at least on the same level and um, a lot of times I think the women's race is even more interesting with more lead changes and so on late in the race than than the men's race is oh yeah the women's race at Melbourne was awesome (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and you could also take take Kona. I mean, uh, you had yeah. had Sebi almost being having won the race at the half marathon mm-hmm. mark, where you had at least say two or three women that would still have been able to win the women's race at that point. So it's it's really hard to to make a comparison just based off one uh, random <laughs> race. Yeah. Um, but what I tried to do was was run the numbers and actually have a look at um, trying to account for. Okay, women take a little bit longer to finish an Ironman than men, and the fields are different sizes. And try to come up with a statistical way of showing uh, the way that the depth of these fields are, and it's basically working off percentages both in the field and in the finishing time. And you get a graph that shows uh, how deep the field is, yeah. and when you compare that, you end up with 
um, well, let me put it that way. If anything, the women's uh, field is is more uh, deep and competitive than the men's field. But I'd say you can't really discern any noticeable difference. So uh, from that viewpoint, um, the depth, um, at least in Kona, is is not a valid uh, argument for giving less slots to the women. Okay. And then also, I, I argue that trying to keep up two different qualification systems, you know, when you start talking about overhead, of, about overhead. of managing uh, points and keeping track of athletes, when you have two, when you have two different systems, it's kind of like uh, I grew up with my, my granddad one time. I was learning how to drive. And I said, well, isn't two exhaust pipes better than one on a car? <laughs> and he said, no, it's two mufflers that can go bad and fall off you know you uh one's better if it's big enough because then it's it's more simple everything's simple you can keep track of one system and everybody's under the same umbrella yeah well i I think the system itself is relatively simple that the difference between 50 and 35 does not add any um organizational overhead uh so on but that um the the implications of these of this little change that you know, keeping track of the of the ranking um, is not that much of of work. I mean, it's it's a lot of work um, because you have to get all the race results in and you have to get all of them right. But the difference, whether you have fifty or thirty five, that's that's negligible difference there. Yeah. Um, but um, the the subtle implications of this di- these different systems, they're just so hard to get and they are so um, difficult to assess that. They just muddy the waters. Um, another example, yeah. I think Hillary was was talking about that one too. That if you own a lot of um, money that that pro athletes make come from sponsor bonuses, and of course one of the main uh, bonuses that is is handed out is when you qualify for Kona. Um, now there's more men that have a chance to make it to Kona, so basically men have. Or sponsor and easier, bonuses. in yeah. air quotes, way of getting a sponsor bonus, or at least more men have a chance to get a sponsor bonus compared to the women. Um, so th- there's just so much implication that um, I can't really see the point of, of um, keeping this system up, apart from all the philosophical <laughs> viewpoints that there should be equal yeah. slots. And that, that's a whole different discussion, so I guess. Where can people find the graph that, that you've made where... It compares the men to women as far as depth of field and competitiveness. Is it is it on? Is yeah, it on my, main site is, is, my, my main site is uh, tryrating.com, and we're we're trying to figure out a way uh, at tryequal.com of of linking all these uh, interesting points. I mean, uh, Kelly Burns Gallagher is another one that has a lot of interesting uh, blog posts about um, um, the the quality issues. Um, yeah. I guess the the easiest way to get at them now would be through my site on on tryrating.com. Okay. It's probably buried somewhere in the December <laughs> December post because it's it's been out there for a while. So, uh, Hillary, what's the what's the path now? How do you actually make change happen? Do you, I had uh, one idea where? Yeah, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I was I was interested in that answer too, Hillary. Come on, tell us the story uh, now. Uh, um, but here's one I one I remember months ago I posted on Twitter who is actually trying to stop there from being equal win- like who name names like who are these people so we know who to cha- you know who to talk to and then my other idea was who I don't I don't know anything about Messick's personal life or anything but it's like who's he married to 
who's his wife and oh. and like <laughs> go talk to her like are you realizing that that this is uh this is going on you know and but then a, a less you know personally intrusive way is do you know that um there's a website up now of all the people that are currently or maybe in the past too um have been suspended for doping and cycling yeah and it lists out and people love it because now there's clarity <laughs> and transparency here's your list of everybody that's ever had a doping infraction right and that's all right. that's all the website is and so if do you know how, like when you when you try to get action on something here is right. a, a list of the people you need to email to change this one policy that your local city does or something like that right here's your city council yeah. members and all this stuff so what if there was a a web page that listed these are the people that are against and if they're that are against 50 women to kona or equal number to kona and hey if they're against it that's that's their problem to, to be on that list. They shouldn't, they need to stand up for what they believe in and, and, and have to deal with the public knowing that they're the ones that are stopping it. Yeah. I mean, that's a fantastic idea, Brett. I, I mean, I, I don't even think it would really require its own whole website. Cause I think it's going to be a very short list. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but like, you I know, mean, you name names of like, these are the people and this is their email address and like that are stopping it from happening. So, yeah, um, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, how many, uh, well, how many people are, do you think it is? Is it 10 people? Is it two? Is it 20? I, I have no idea. I think that this decision ultimately comes down to one person. And I think that you know, um, all of the sort of messages and stuff, you know, being directed at CEO Ironman. I mean, I think ultimately like it's, it's his call, you know? And I think, um, I'm sure I, I know he's not the only one in the world who's against it, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think yeah. that, I think the list is, is in fact very short, but Unfortunately for us, in in this case, um, I think it really, you know, the buck stops there. I think that that's 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 really the person that it comes down to, for, like from what I've seen. Um, so, but do you think it actually? Because uh, I've I've I was reading on Slow Twitch the, the the idea that you know because of the private equity holding company, um, they're not going to do anything that is going to not allow them to make as much money as possible. So if he can't convince them that it's for not only not neutral, but also doesn't help them make more money, then uh, they're going to, they're not going to allow it. Uh, do you think that, do you think that Messick has free reign to actually make that call? Or does you, th do you think that I forgot the name of the, what's the name of the equity company? That's, uh, Private equity Providence or, or Providence. Yeah. Providence. Yeah. Do you think do you think the board at Providence is saying no, or or not? I I I mean I am totally um, I would I I'm really just um, guessing here because I do not know for a fact, but I cannot fathom that 
every Kona slot needs to be approved by Providence Equity. I mean, that would yeah. get a bit tedious, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, a, a so, board is just supposed to kind of advise, you know, on what they're doing. Yeah. And I, and I think overall, let's have a look at what we're talking about. We're talking about 15 extra slots here. Um, and yeah. whenever WTC comes up with a new race or buys a new race worldwide, there's magically 25 or 50 slots appearing. So it, I, I don't really buy the argument that Kona is full and we don't have room for uh, 15 more pro women on the pier or whatever uh, that is. Because we've we've seen so many examples where new races come up with slots that are just added to the field as far as I can tell. Yeah. And also from what I heard from from Messick himself was that um, he's more worried about um, the density of the people coming out of the swim and the resulting problems in policing against drafting and so on that that really put a limit on what field is possible. And so so I don't really buy the argument that Kona is full and we don't have room for 15 more people. Yeah. Um, I, I guess the frustrating thing for us is um, – We'd love to start a dialogue and a discussion about what's keeping uh, WTC, Providence Equity, whoever it is. I guess, uh, I mean, the way I see it is, is pretty much what, what Hillary said. The buck stops with, with Messick and he can make the final call on it. And um, once he makes up his mind to change things, I guess he can make things change. Um, but we don't know what their arguments are against adding a couple more women to the to the pro field. Uh, what they're afraid of this will mean or um, whether they will lose face or whether it's a personal issue or whatever it is. We have no idea what it is because they've been keeping pretty much radio silent. A um, couple of people have had the chance to switch an email back and forth with, with uh, Andrew Messick on it. But um, so far, we have not been able to establish a dialogue with him on this issue. Yeah, to me, it seems like the, the lawyer tactic of delay, delay, delay. <laughs> <laughs> and hope that it goes hope that it goes away until people get tired of it you know yeah and i guess i mean yeah. the, the the problem that i see is um of course that that frustrates people and that bugs people and um i mean i i wouldn't like to see all the uh, um, tweets that have been directed at ceo ironman i mean there were a couple of ones that were probably not really nice to to uh andrew and probably not totally fair to him but yeah. um he was kind of asking for it by not engaging in the dialogue in in any way or all, at all i mean i think the only thing that we saw was a was a press release uh, by wtc basically explaining how qualifying works and that there wouldn't be any change for this year and that's, I guess, the only thing that that I've seen from them officially. I don't know, Hillary, if you've seen or heard anything in addition to that. No, that's it. And, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that press release didn't even address the issue. It was, it was, uh, um, it was a whole, like, dissertation about how age groupers qualify and how yeah. there's limited space on the pier. But it was completely irrelevant to pros. the pro qualifying but but yet concluded with a statement about for this reason uh there will be no changes to to pro slots for for 2015 which is like <laughs> in my opinion was a complete non sequitur because the two things were completely unrelated yeah i agree and i guess that's that's one of the things uh that that we should get into as well is that we're talking about uh adding pro slots uh, to Kona and adding equal number of pro slots for the for men and women in Kona mm -hmm. um, the the age group system is totally different and um, although 
I guess each of us, us would like to see an equal number of um, pro uh, of, of age group women in Kona as as we see age group men. That's totally an issue of increasing participation there, and not. I, I don't think anyone was asking for a totally even number of of Kona participants on for each gender the year. Yeah, there there's some really great strategies in in uh, I don't know, managing power. And st- <laughs> I guess it's stuff where you uh, you instill fear, you you conflate issues together, you you relate things uh, that aren't related. Um, the, that that whole tactic where oh we're we're gonna have to take away from the men to give it to the women. You try you try to pit yep. people against yeah. you try to pit two factions against yes. each other, and then as long as they're fighting the each other, they're not fighting you. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and there, yep. another yeah. uh, all, issue that they're bringing the up is, is 50 the right number of pros in any gender in Kona. That's another issue that they're throwing in there to confuse the, to muddy the waters even more. Yeah. And I guess we just need to figure out a way of separating, separating out the issues and addressing concerns for each of the issues. But it's hard to do if there's only one side uh, involved in the discussion and the, the concerns of the other side, which I guess there must be some because otherwise they, they would have... Uh, agreed to 50 slots yeah. is is not in the discussion yeah yeah that i i personally um i don't really i'm i'm not i'm i'm not near being a pro and don't know anything about it uh but you know i'm i'm fine personally with you know 35 35 45 45 50 50 you know like to me i i just think it's it's it ought to be fair and then you know however that's figured out is is uh is figured out so, um, what do you what do you think, Hillary? Are you are you fifty fifty, uh, no matter what, or do you want just fair, or or how do you feel? Did we lose Hillary? I think we just uh, oh, she just, just lost her. Off, yeah. oh, what do you think about that, Thorson? Like, should it be should it be fifty fifty or fair or as long well, as it's the, fair? The way I see it, there it's two different issues. One is we should have an equal number of men and women, regardless of their gender, in right. Kona. And um, whether it should be 35 or 50 is a different issue. Right. That's how uh, I feel, too. I think, That's what I was trying to say. I think they're different yeah. issues. Yeah. And, I mean, you could you could make a good case that 50 is a good number. You could make another case that 50 is too many because then you have a lot of pros that just uh, traveled to Kona and... Uh, basically lose money because they're they're going there mm-hmm. um, because they just pay 10 deep and a lot of people just go there to uh, have a have a race there and not really get anything out of it yeah um, that's that's certainly valid concerns too so that would point to reducing the numbers um, but the way I see it is I don't want to see a field of 35 and 35 with the qualification system that we have there because then the um, uh, the uh, number of races that the pro men have to do to make it to Kona would increase over what we ha- what we have now. So y- I think we need, if we uh, uh, okay. reduce the number yeah. of pros in Kona, we also need to uh, change the qualification system a little bit so that we avoid this over-racing before Kona. And uh, actually, um, well, the way I've been putting it is KPR is really good at determining the best X number of athletes that should race in Kona. Uh-huh. Whereas not good is is making sure that these athletes arrive in Kona in the best shape possible. Right for a good race, it kind of destroys careers instead right. of building them. Right. I mean, for example, if you have, if you qualify in August, you don't really have enough time to recover from this Ironman in August. 
um, and have a decent Kona build on top of that again. So those right. are just little issues that are hard to uh, figure out right. And if we reduce the number, uh, I guess WTC sh should also look at tweaking the system to avoid the, the, the potential problems there. Yeah. So um, on getting to Kona, I have, a, I have something that people ought to know in case they don't, because I, I just kind of found this out today um, looking at the uh, triequal com website is that you guys are uh, selling you know the hats and the t-shirts and the and the tattoos and such for um, to raise money and that that money will go to help getting the last qualifying female pro to get to Kona is that true yeah there's there's companies uh, course boards and Hillary's company smash that queen that uh, put up um, tanks and t-shirts with the with the logo and I guess track cards now as well as, as you mentioned and uh, the idea is that uh, the the money that these companies make will be donated to um, to the last uh, female qualifier, whoever that that is going to be this year. But apparently, number thirty five now. <laughs> yeah, from what it, what we heard. Yeah, and uh, but uh, that's basically uh, from the good of these two uh, companies that uh, they offered that. Yeah, they said we don't we don't want to make any money on on these uh, t shirts and tanks, and so we donate the the profits that we get from that. But is Hillary back on? Is that yep. I hear? Okay. So the um, what I really so like. Tell, tell us about the the what happens with the profit you you guys make on the on the fifty women for Kona tanks and T-shirts. How, how that yeah. Yeah, so uh, my company is Smashfest Queen. Um, I can't speak for Core, and I'm not sure what exactly their project is with their T-shirts, but I know. Um, for us, we are making um, 5Q women's tanks and men's tees and trucker hats um, because we had so many people um, looking to, you know, looking for a way to show their support for this cause, which is so awesome. Um, people started out by, you know, using Sharpies and writing 5Q on their arms and legs <laughs> as a yeah. sort of temporary tattoo at races. Yeah. Um, we now have got some some temporary tattoos um, being made um, and people are wearing those, but people wanted, you know, s other things to wear to show their support. And um, what's, what's pretty neat is that uh, one of the two professional females that we sponsor um, at Smashfest Queen is Haley Chura. Uh -huh. And Haley, as a first-year pro two years ago actually got like the very last Kona slot. You know, she uh -huh. raced her tail off all season. Um, and at Ironman Mont Tremblant in August, finally, um, got in. She, she wasn't even 35, you know, she ultimately uh -huh. got a roll down because somebody yeah. in that, in those last few slots passed it up. Oh, and okay. so Haley was the last person two years ago to get a slot. Now, um, to be fair, she got to Kona and was completely spent by the time she got there, not right. surprisingly, um, and really, really um, had a tough day. Uh, to her credit, of course, she finished and, um, you know, it, nevertheless, man managed to be the first woman out of the water that day um, and, and you know, went on went on last year to, to win her first Ironman. She's an incredible athlete. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's so, it, you know, it, it just seemed seemed appropriate for us. Um, we certainly don't want to make money off of this issue but we we want to do something sort of to contribute to to the cause as it were and um and so we thought you know who better than 
than you know this year's Haley um, to to yeah. sort of put these funds towards. So all of the the profits um, from all from the sales of all of the five Q stuff, we are just um, saving up to hopefully write a net, a nice check to that final qualifier um, in the women's field to hopefully defray some of her expenses um, in in getting to Hawaii. That is not a, a an expensive undertaking and. No. And, you know, t- t- related to your guys' discussion about the, you know, how many pro slots there should be, you know, should it be 35 or should it be 50? I mean, I, I absolutely think, you know, and I don't want to open a whole nother can of worms, but uh-huh. I mean, I absolutely think that's something that 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 needs to be done to support um, the all of these qualifying slots, really, is that, I mean, the pros, I think that, that to me that the obvious next step is that all of the pros who earn a slot to Hawaii should be getting some kind of financial support mm. from the WTC to be there. If, if they truly want, right. you know, the best field in Hawaii to the extent that we have a number of people every year who don't go because it doesn't make financial sense, which I completely agree with in a lot of cases, right. if they actually want the 50 best people in the world there, they're going to have to put their money where their mouth is and put, and and you know have a stipend for every single person that is qualified to compete there. Yeah, the the first time I saw that mentioned, I hadn't even thought about that before. But Brett Sutton brought that up, where he said um, the w- WTC ought to be paying the way for some of these pros to get there. Yeah. Um, like yeah. a like a real professional sport to get the best people yeah. there. Especially in a sport right. where, where people are are out training, you know, thirty hours a week. How are they supposed to be making the money to go to go to this this thing in a faraway destination? And I I think you know oh, we've, exactly. Uh, Thorson may not have noticed this, but here in America we've got this we've got this really sad uh, thing happening that you see. You drive down the highway and you'll see billboards on the side of the road of somebody that is asking for money for their for uh for a kidney transplant or something mm-hmm. like that and it's like that's healthcare in america <laughs> you know and, and you're like asking for donations and charities and stuff to kind of help people get by and this this whole thing of pros having to um uh professionals in a sport having to beg and ask for money to get to something that they've qualified for is kind of crazy in a way, yeah, and I mean, we're, we're we're not asking about just any any race, or we're not asking for um, WTC to support any and all pros out there. We're asking them to uh, support the top athletes in our sports. And I mean, just look at the numbers. If you look at fifty fifty yeah. um, participants, you have about a hundred starters in Kona at that point. Uh, Twenty of them get paid for price money, so you're looking at eighty additional people getting, say. I don't know what, what what would be a decent minimum, say two thousand dollars or so, uh-huh. and you have like a like, like one hundred sixty thousand dollars that that uh, we're looking at. So it's not, I mean, it's it's a lot of money, um, but it's not like it's um, impossible uh, to look right. at. Um, yeah, and, and it, that that would really be a great addition um, of helping to make Kona even more interesting than it already is at this point. Yeah, I totally agree, and and also on the the value of pros being at these races, uh, you know, how much does it actually help in, in light of you know Ironman cutting pro fields from certain races and such? I think Hillary might have something to say about a certain somebody she knows 
that uh, is a pro. And <laughs> how much value does this certain somebody being in your in your company's gear, being out in the pro field out on a bike, bring to uh, Smashfest? Oh, it's. I mean, <laughs> it is incredibly valuable. Yeah. Um, I think. I mean, I can tell you, I can tell you just last year, I mean, we brought on our first two pros last year, one of whom was, was Haley and, um, and I mean, I mean, I, I, I watch our sales numbers, like my, we ship every single order. So I see, I see how I see where these things go. And I mean, I can tell you that having one, you know, inspirational pro, um, in it, you know, based out of Atlanta racing in our stuff, um, and even before she won her Ironman in November, um, you know, Haley actually had a had a pretty tough season um, kind of leading up to that. Uh-huh. It didn't matter. It didn't matter because she is she is out there racing on our stuff. She is approachable. She is the most like down to earth, friendly, you know, pro uh-huh. and is absolutely, you know, sort of a, a role model um, in the Southeast, you know, and beyond. But I can tell you that the number of orders that we shipped to the southeastern U.S. I mean, grew. I can't even can't even give you a figure because it it was like an entirely new market for us that just right. blew up because. Really. So I am, you know, 150 percent convinced um, the value of, of pros. the value of of pros. Hey, I mean, abs- absolutely. What did you see with? Um... Your husband uh, leading the bike at Kona last year in in Smash Fest, and uh, wasn't he leading the bike for quite a ways, right? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And in the ocean side again, right? And then yeah. also when you did Ultraman in uh, Smash Fest kit out there mm-hmm. and getting all that media attention from you being out there, I mean, uh, the value of pros bringing attention to uh, to companies involved in in the sport has got to be just crazy. Yeah, I mean, I I've, I've seen it, you know, many times over. Haley was a particularly um, sort of obvious example from my perspective because I could literally like watch the statistics online, you know, yeah. through our company directly. Uh, um, but I, I, you know, and and this is something that I that I hear from WTC is, you know, well, uh, you know, comments you know, against of the value of. Pro- Oh, I think we may be losing yeah. Hillary. There's she, always okay. there. She's back. <laughs> Am I here? Yeah, you're just can dropping you hear through. Me? Yeah, we can hear you. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I the the sort of one of the arguments that I hear from the WTC related to all of this is a, about. Oh no! Like like proven to them. Uh-huh. Josh, she's, she must be in a really bad place right now. <laughs> yeah. Against each other to be valuable to them. That like our presence at races, you know, racing our guts out and that kind of thing is like not enough, which I find very strange. I mean, yeah. certainly I get the value of all the extra stuff. I see that with Haley, but uh-huh. um, what what is sort of continually like suggested um to me is by them is is that you know well well what is your worth really you know and mm. and i think i think that certainly i agree that all of the extra all of the extra you know sort of personality components of pros 
kids and they're interacting with the public and all of that is valuable. But I think that what I think that the WTC misses is that having a pro race, you know, in Kona and at their other races um, is inherently valuable because that is what sort of makes like validates the whole event, right? That's what makes this kind of like a legitimate sport in a lot of people's eyes. Uh Um, And I think that without that field um, over time, this suddenly Ironman becomes your backyard egg and spoon race, right? I mean, it's just, it's, what is it without, you know, NBC and the professionals and, and people being able to go home and brag like, oh yeah, like I was out there too, right? Mm-hmm. You saw that mm-hmm. race on, on TV. Well, I, I was there and I was there with, with those people, right? But with, without that, so unfortunately, it, it, I think- it, it seems that they don't know what to do with those pros that don't get a lot of airtime in the NBC coverage. Well, I think that ignoring all the rest of those pros is very short-sighted because where are those people on the NBC coverage going to come from mm-hmm. like in the exactly. long term? And that and that's what and the same it's the same thing with the Kona slots. It's those 36 to 50 women, many of whom are are you know still developing and still trying to build a career in the sport who may end up bowing out because not being able to go to Kona is one less opportunity to build a career, mm-hmm. right? And one less, you know, sort of stone in their, uh, you know, one less building block towards possibly being able to make this a career. They can't make make it a career. They give it a go for a couple of years and they bow out, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's those or, ones or, that or, can stick around. Take take the example from last year. I mean, one of those athletes that narrowly missed out was Angela Nath, um, who certainly would have been top billing in, in, in Kona. And I bet someone like Hello Fredrickson, who is winning a ton of 70.3 races right now, looks at those examples and tries to figure out, okay, do I continue racing 70.3s and win a couple of them, make good money there? Or do I go the risk and move to Ironman where I can have one or two races per year that I have a good chance of making money at? And if I just have one bad race, then that's a whole ruined season for me. And those are not the decisions that can be in the interest of WTC at this point because, I mean, Kona is their big crown jewel and they should do all in their might to encourage athletes to move up there and try to view that as the ultimate of making it there. And yeah. I, I don't really see them doing that. Yeah, there's a there's a phenomenon in, um, in urban planning that's very similar to this where um, you have a busy road, right, and no bike lane on it. And uh, so there's no site, there's no cyclists, right? Yeah. And so then you talk to uh, the local government agency and say, hey, can we put a bike lane on here? And they say, why? There's no cyclists. <laughs> right. Like, well, that's because there's no bike. You say the same thing about a sidewalk or something like that. You say, well, you have to put the, you have to put the infrastructure in first and then the, they will come, you know, you build it and they will come and, and uh, having the field available for women to fill fill first um, to then build careers and build a bigger depth is kind of the way it has to go, or else you have this permanent chokehold on growth or uh, or bringing uh, the numbers up in women in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think what we have right now is is sort of that that growth of the professional field, particularly the women's field. You know, well, it's. 
I mean, the the opportunities are, are in fact diminishing rather than increasing. Um, yeah. I know for sure that, you know, compared to when I started racing professionally, holy moly, 10 years ago now, um, <laughs> certainly the opportunities for sponsorship and prize money are, are you know, not nearly um, relative to the amount of women that are that are in the game now are just there's just so much fewer. Um, and, and that's, that's tough. And I just think, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can tell you that in terms of, you know, the pro women that I, that I work with that are just coming up, um, the advice that I would give them career wise now is a lot different than what I Mm. would have advised just a couple of years ago because of the landscape. Yeah. That's, that's sad. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, we we are in the lucky situation in in triathlon that we're not arguing about equal prize money as a lot of other sports are doing, but um, I mean that shouldn't keep us from going um, to hundred percent equality rather than stick at where we are now, ninety six or or so on. I mean, obviously that has been things that um, people have been working for in the past, and I think Sarah Gross's um, blog post did it did a great job of outlining what what happened there. Um, that's that, that that was really interesting to see what what a lot of courageous women did in the early 90s of of our sport right. to make sure that we have equal price money but i think it's now the time to uh build on that rather than move back from it yeah well i'd really like to thank you both for coming on and so out of this we have some action action points we have uh people can tweet what is it at CEO Ironman, CEO underscore Ironman, or is it Ironman CEO? Do, do we know what it is? I think it's CEO Ironman without CEO. any yeah. underscore. And and but the thing that like you were saying, you know, if if you're if you're hateful and mean and stuff, what that does in human psychology, it puts or the other. Try. <laughs> it is it puts the person in a defensive pose and even ground digs their feet in even harder sometimes. So you got to be careful how you how you talk and uh pull people with you instead of you know making them put their fists up right with the with the tweeting (laughs) exactly that's why i say you know send a personal email give them a call yeah we may as well keep trying to have a discussion you know none of us want this to get ugly but if we feel like we're not being heard then we may have to use other measures right yeah and um and then transparency and uh, keeping up the pressure um, and not, not, uh, they're definitely, it seems like they're definitely just hoping just to, yeah, radio silence and kind of keep it quiet and uh, maybe it'll go away. So. Yeah, I think we're, we're at a position now where th- this issue is not going away silently. No. Lo- too many people have voiced their support for the issue and um, I, I I, I'd hate to see this issue go ugly uh, even more than it already is. I, I mean, a lot of the tweets that, that were sent to CEO Ironman weren't really nice. Mm-hmm. And I know that that doesn't really help the discussion here at this point. But I understand people that get frustrated and uh, lash out at that point. And we, we, we should all try and avoid that and get into de- decent dialogue with each other. All right. All right. Well, cool. Do you have anything else? Uh, uh, so there's uh, tryequal.com. And then Thorsten, what's your what's your uh, website again? Uh, yeah, my main main site is tryrating.com, where mostly I post with uh, upcoming races, uh, who's in the fields, and how I rate the different athletes and h- predict times and outcomes. So a lot of fun there. 
Um, some people don't agree with my agreements, <laughs> but it's it's all based on on previous results. So at least I can point to where my opinion was from, from right. formed from. Are you doing an analysis for uh, Ironman Texas because that's going to be such a huge race with uh, what's absolutely. Going on. I mean, I'm I'm waiting for the official um, um, start list to come out. That's usually. Uh, around two weeks before the race, uh -huh. and once once I have that, I'll do a, a, an analysis of that and uh, see who uh, shows up there. But from cool. what I heard, it's it's going to be a totally crazy field. Oh, I know it's going to be great. It's going to be. I'm I'll, I'll be there, and uh, I, it, yeah, it's going to be nuts. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, an Ironman. Yeah, I mean, just 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 the the yeah. number of women that I've heard mentioned for this race. I mean, yeah. I guess everyone who's who's not raced. Um, well, or let's put it another way. I don't know who who will be left to race in Brazil two weeks after that in the next uh, regional championship, other than in Texas. So that that'll be crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think like we were just talking about, Angela Nath is going to be there, and um, and uh, if people don't know these regional. Uh, races, reg regional championships end up being automatic qualifiers for Kona now, right? Yeah, the, the, that's another where they found two more, ten more slots, five for the men, five for the, the women, because they gave automatic uh, Kona slots for the winners of each of these races. Right. That's awesome. I like that a lot. I think that's pretty cool. I mean, if yeah, you I want a regional championship, a it makes sense that you should go to Kona. I, my opinion is if you win any Ironman, you should go to Kona. Just any of them. So. Yeah, there's too many of them for for that kind of system to work at this point. Oh, how many are there now? I think the official number was around 40. Um, there's a there's a few that don't have a pro purse anymore, but then they add some more. So I guess 40 overall. And if you want to end up with 50 slots, you just have the winners and not many else to go there. Yeah. Well, that's an idea. Well. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Well, thank you, everybody, for being on. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having us, Brett. Okay, good talking Thanks, to you again, Hillary. It's really great. Thanks. Hey, oh, Hillary, you the, too. the uh, number bib that you signed for me is on my wall at work. Yay, I yeah. love it. And, pe <laughs> and, and people say, what is that? I go, Hillary Biscay signed that, and I wore it throughout the entire race. And, and uh, <laughs> they're like, you're nuts. I'm like, no, it was super cool, man. She won Ultraman. And they're like, what's that? And I go, you think Iron Man's tough. Just check out Ultraman. Yeah. Nuts. <laughs> the amount of explaining that you have to do for that is yeah. kind of a story in itself, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Thanks, guys. Talk to you yeah. soon. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. That is super cool. Thank you so much, Hillary Biscay and Thorsten Rad. Thorsten is just an amazing guy that has decided to put his talents of statistical analysis uh, as uh, towards improving the sport of triathlon and uh, increasing the clarity of actually what goes on. If you've ever seen the movie Moneyball, you can do a lot with statistics and find out where things need improving and uh, where things are... Uh, where people believe in things that aren't actually true. And it's it's really cool to have Thorsten involved in all this. So go check him out for sure. And let's see. Let's, uh, let's do a little bit of, of an advertisement here between interviews. Uh, let's see. I'll talk about Amrita later on in the show. Let's talk about sound probiotics. Okay, Kai had strep. Oh, wait. I think I'll talk about them later in the show too. 10% uh, off. Uh, with your discount code Zentri. It keeps you uh, healthy. Listen to more later in the show. 
Um, everybody else around me has gotten sick. I haven't. I think it's because of the sound probiotics. Soundprobiotics.com, 10% off. But let's do, let's see. You know what? Let's skip an ad and not even do one. Let's go straight towards doing this interview with Tawny. It's a lot of a lot of fun. I actually recorded a little while ago and I've been waiting for the right time to put it on the show. And now is the time. So let's get started with Tawny Prazak. Here we go. Tawny Prazak, it's Prep Langner calling you. Oh my gosh, I am in line at Whole Foods buying a kombucha so I can have for refreshing beverage while speaking on the podcast. <laughs> cool. Which whole so foods are you at? Right? Yeah. Um, I'm in Newport Beach on the way home from a lunch I just had and I uh, needed to go to the bathroom and decided to, well, might as well just post up here and get a kombucha while I'm at it. <laughs> you know what? On my uh, latest show I put out, I told people to stop at grocery stores instead of fast food places. Yep. See, I'm living that right now. Yeah. So we, we're definitely the same wavelength because yeah you didn't have i didn't have to hear that podcast yet to already understand why that is the best way to go <laughs> well it, caught, it only <laughs> takes like a sec maybe a minute longer and then you have a huge selection of healthy food so. yeah definitely hold on i just want to make sure that the transaction is going okay thank you so much mm-hmm. all right um yeah, plus, you know, you you got to know, like, refer to a place like Whole Foods that's going to have clean bathrooms and, yeah, two little treats on the side. And then I'm actually walking out right now on some nice couches with a heat lamp and everything and not too shabby. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's new? Well, lots of stuff. First off, I was cruising around uh, the the uh, Webernets, the interwebs, and I saw on your Twitter feed there is a you managed to capture a photo of the elusive uh, Sheena, the Jungle Queen. <laughs> Sheena, is that my new nickname? <laughs> <laughs> I've been hard at work, my friend. I've been very hard at work these days. Yeah, there, there's this picture of you. Uh, I, I don't know what you're doing, but you're wandering around the woods, and mm-hmm. your abs were something to uh, to marvel at. It was just incredible. <laughs> you got a lot of comments on that. What's been going on I with did. you and your? Are you working out each ab individually for like half an hour? Each ab. And then I like talk to each one at night and oh, tell their nice play little music. story. And <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I'm just kind of in a uh, interesting path and journey in life right now. Like I'm not really training for triathlon hardcore. Uh-huh. I'm running, but I'm not also I'm not running to a point where my body is becoming weak from it. I'm focusing a lot on strength, strength training and. Uh-huh. You know, also, honestly, um, after last year, really taking an effort to focus on my health and just kind of get everything back in check, and I've written about this on my blog and everything, mm-hmm. I've seen my body responding in the most positive ways. And I'm, let me know if it sounds okay, because I am sitting outside and there's people walking around. Yeah. Um, no, you're okay. But, you know, ever since I've just taken the time to take care of me, first and foremost, regardless of what that meant in my training and my schedule and, like, hourly volume or weekly volume and all that, I've just seen my body come around and just want to just, it's thriving. Like, I want to do all these things and um, mm-hmm. having the strength to do it. And, yeah, it's been kind of an interesting journey for the last, you know, close to a year now. 
um, and just pursuing new goals. So, you know, I look at the stuff like muscle and strength and all that, that like, I, I will never be a person who's like a bodybuilder, you know, doing it for vanity reasons. Like mm-hmm. I try to get strong for like training for life, you know, jump right. in at any race at any given moment sort of thing. And so that was, we were on a backpacking trip. It was my first time backpacking mm-hmm. and I felt strong for it. <laughs> I guess the, the picture showed that yeah. maybe that's true. Well, it looked like you were taking laundry down to the creek to wash it on your own abs. <laughs> kind of what like we were was, doing. In fact, like, yeah. Yeah, there was tons of poison oak on the trail, so we were having to be very careful about um, uh-huh. the clothes situation and, you know, what we're, yeah, so <laughs> we, I was drinking coffee at that moment, and by, actually the instant coffee that I got really wasn't that terrible, I think, but you know how it is, like, everything tastes better when you're camping. Oh, when you're starving to death out in the woods, uh, dirt tastes yeah. fantastic. You're like, right? Yeah, you eat tree bark. Um, exactly. One time a friend and I, I used to backpack a lot. And uh, one time a friend and I were uh, backpacking in the Ozarks and oh, our, wow. our campfire was right by this creek and we're out in the middle of we haven't seen anybody in like two days. And then uh, we were walking down this steep embankment to get water out of the creek to put the, to take it up, to put the fire out, you know, to pour it yeah. on the fire. And it was taking forever because you don't bring a bucket with you while you're backpacking, you know, so we're like doing right. canteens and whatever. <laughs> And then I said, uh, but we had, I remembered to bring pliers because pliers are actually really useful on a, I brought a Leatherman, right? So I had pliers on it. And uh-huh. uh, I took the log that was still smoldering and kind of on fire and kind of held one end of it with the fires and the, with the pliers. And then the other end I could hold with my hand because it was so big that only half of it was burning, you know? Uh-huh. And I walked it down the creek and threw the fire into the creek. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way to get it done yeah and and we watched it like it just burned out like instantly i was like well that that was uh kind of handy like that i I don't know if that's ethical but whatever (laughs) i know right so you've done your stir back backpacking before in your life oh yeah yeah i was a uh i was an eagle kid pre-family oh yeah i was an eagle scout and i used Mm -hmm. to back i was in a high adventure back back uh high adventure boy scout troop so awesome. I spent two or three birthdays in a row in July uh, having snowball fights on the Continental Divide in Colorado. Like, uh, Oh, my God. So we're talking two-week-long backpacking trips, carrying 50-pound packs, um, yeah, going up over the Continental Divide and doing one, one trip we did 100 miles. Um, wow. Yeah. Setting so the foundation for the future triathlete that you turned into? Um, I can climb hills really good, really well. That sounds like it. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sure even in just this past trip that I went on, um, I've been running in the last couple of days, and I've already noticed my hill, my hill like feel like they're coming back to me in like a way that I haven't mm-hmm. felt in a while, and it was all about carrying that load. Like I know you're actually into using the weighted vest when you're running. Have you noticed a pretty good um, result from that? Oh yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, How much do you load up in yours? 20, I think it's 25 pounds. That's yeah, pretty legit. That it's is definitely it's legit. heavy, yeah. And um, yeah, all the years of backpacking, uh, you learn how to carry weight. Um, and so I'm somebody that can carry a heavy load and go kind of fast, you know, but not, mm-hmm. not um, uh, really, really, really fast with no load, you know. 
So I think everybody's built differently yeah, yeah. from different stuff, you know? So. I had a pretty heavy load. I'm, I'm guessing it was between 50 and 60 pounds. And um, I was trying to go as fast as little way to carry me. But I was also, you know, with family. Um, and so I wasn't, like, just kind of going off on my complete own. But then I was talking to this guy, and I guess there's fast packing, too. So, uh-huh. like, the idea of actually trying to go as fast as you can with a decent amount of load, but not the most load that you could possibly have. So, yeah. whole new world, whole new world. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, a guy that when we were out on the Ozark Trail, a guy passed us. The only person we saw the entire time passed us like at like 10 o'clock at night. And he wasn't running, but he was kind of fast walking a little bit. And mm-hmm. uh, he, his backpack was really tiny. And he was, um, he was, you know, going from one end of the Ozark Trail to the other, which is several hundred miles or something like that. And um, yeah, you know, you want to cover as much ground as you can. So you carry as little as you need and then uh the whole backpacking is an art like it's it, you get really good at it after a while like um the whole water filtration thing that you're doing oh yeah the the yeah. thing to get is a um you need the uv light do you have one of those well my sister is the one who's the aficionado at this point i was the total novice just along for the ride but uh-huh. you know i kind of got my taste of it she had um it was like a platypus i think is the brand uh-huh. And she had just recently got it too. I don't know. I mean, basically, you fill a bag and then you go through a tube, and there's a filter like integrated into the tube, and then out comes your fresh water. So I don't really know too much about this stuff yet. I'm learning. So there's a there's a pen that you get that's like about a hundred dollars, and it runs on like a couple of AAA batteries or something. Uh huh. And you fill up your canteen or whatever you're doing with uh, water, and all you all you need to do is make sure the water's reasonably clear, right? Not even that clear, but it just needs to be kind of clear. And you stick the pin in, and then you press a button on the top, and it lights it up with uh, ultraviolet light, and it kills everything in the um, water, including viruses. Really? Yeah, and the problem with filters are they can only filter down to so small, and viruses are tiny, 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 tiny. Yeah. So a virus can still get through. Um, unless you boil it and then now you're burning, uh, cooking fuel to boil water. Right. Know? And so this UV light is awesome. And then if you get one, anytime you travel to another country, like you go to Mexico or something like that, Oh, you just, yeah, you okay. just stick it in your glass of water and turn it on and then your water's clean. I love that. You know, yeah. I was actually at a place over the weekend too. Tell me if this is similar um, or if you've heard of this one, it was like a charcoal stick. That you uh-huh. put in your bottle, and it's supposed to filter it naturally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't sound like maybe it's as uh, reliable as the UV thing that you're talking about, right. but um, I never, I mean, I've heard, of course, at this point, using charcoal to eat or have, like, if you're having something that could potentially have toxins or if you're, you know, partying too late and you're planning on drinking too much or something like that, <laughs> you know, the old yeah. Dave Asprey trick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, not just sticking it. This particular piece of charcoal in a water bottle to have it filter and clean it out. It's crazy uh-huh. stuff, man. When you see a filter, a filter will say down to so many microns, right? And that'll tell you uh-huh. how small the holes are that it'll block things. The problem with filters are is after so many uses, they they get gunked up, exactly. right? And yeah. then they don't get everything because viruses, for example, are um, oh, what's it, Giardia for example, which I think might be a virus, is a nasty one. And um, they can't get that. And so... Well, 
I'm not going to lie. I was thinking of my buddy Chris Kelly at Neurosound Thrive as my sister was filtering this water, and I'm like, am I going to get a virus that Chris is going to have to test me, and mm -hmm. then I'm going to have to, you know, go through this whole slew of, like, fixing my health again, and I'm yeah. like, all right, Tony, shut up. <laughs> yeah. You want the, the latest advancements in backpacking that you want is you want that UV pen, and then you want... Okay. And then you want the, because um, it's just so simple and it's so easy and it just allows you to have a lot more fun. And then you want a backpacking stove that's the um, butane canister stove that you just you just screw it on and then you just run it and it runs off these canisters. And, Got um, it. It's, they're so awesome. My, <laughs> my, <laughs> my friend took it and picked it up and pointed it at some sticks to catch on fire. And we used the stove to start a campfire. <laughs> Because it just blasts out like a rocket, you know. It, wow, it, it's amazing. Yeah, it's super. And then, it, and when you're done, you just pack it up and it's and it's done. It's pretty cool. Luxury. I like it. Yeah. Little comfort there. I like it. Well, so cool. Let's talk about uh, Zach Bitter. Yeah. Because let's I, talk about listen, that stuff. You're putting out shows on a regular basis, and yeah. I'm getting angry at the shows because I'm like, this one's not number three. <laughs> Number three is definitely going to be my favorite. And I, it was hard kind of making the decision to keep it all in one or break it up. We haven't done something quite like this before of doing a series. Um, the conversation was all just one long conversation and then yeah. we broke it up. But I kind of like it. It was cool. Um, I think um, especially for someone who's maybe newer to like a low-carb uh, low, uh, low carb stuff and all mm -hmm. that, it's, you know, bits and pieces absorb a little bit at a time. But, you know, as I was thinking about it, and re I've re-listened to all the shows myself as well, I, wa I wanted to kind of give my interpretation and position. Because, you know, when you do those kinds of podcasts, mm -hmm. those aren't necessarily, like, my opinions. I'm letting that person, you know, obviously speak the results of this incredible study that was done right. and share what they think. Um, I've, I've been excited to kind of give my follow-up thoughts on, like, how athletes can spend make this into real practical use because mm -hmm. you know you got to see the other side that a lot of what we're talking about here with the ketogenic diet for example is quite frankly not realistic for most of us right and i also i mean i'll go as far as to say like i don't think necessarily a ketogenic diet is healthy for, for most endurance athletes um to thrive on full time i think a ketogenic diet for example is something that can be super, super helpful in, like, health situations, as mm -hmm. Dr. Jeff Bullock totally pointed out time and time again during the show, and that's, you know, the bulk of his research has been on uh, fixing metabolic disease and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he's doing fabulous stuff to change this world to be a better place, and the athletic side of it is just kind of falling on his plate by almost chance. Yeah. Um, and he decided to kind of, you know, take a leap and dive a little bit deeper into it. But from the health standpoint for non-athletes, I think there's a lot more for the ketogenic diet. You know, um, for us athletes, it's it's different. I and mean, I think if you're not careful, you could potentially be playing with fire. Yeah. Yeah. The opposite's true, though, too. I mean, if you have such a crafty diet where you're, you know, just refined carbohydrate and junk food central, that's playing with a bigger fire, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I thought what so, was, um, I thought what was really cool was the um, the that web page or that PDF or that document. I don't, I don't remember what it is that um, they showed the study, and it was so neat to see that it is true. Like your metabolic efficiency can be totally manipulated by your diet. 
Absolutely. And within, I think even Phil Maffetov says, like, within two meals, you can start making the difference. Yeah. And then also what you're eating, even not even necessarily two meals, just what you eat before a workout yeah. um, is going to greatly influence what you're going to burn. But the more you get into it, the better and better it gets, as we're now seeing in the science. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was so cool to see that. And then Zach Bitter, not only is he no joke, but he's like, <laughs> well, he ran 100 miles at like a six-minute mile pace or something like Ridiculous that. Ridiculous stuff. Like, he's kind of the anomaly you got on the stand, right? Like, yeah. there's not too many humans out there that will ever probably respond to all this and be able to compete at the level Zach is. I mean, he's a rare... And he's also... So it's like well-spoken. I, I love having conversations with him because he just knows the right things to say. He's great at it. He should start yeah. a podcast. <laughs> he should. Um, yeah. But, you know, so what's interesting, though, I think the biggest argument I hear, like, from the other camp is always like, but does it make you go faster? Do you actually see an increase in performance? by going on a high-fat diet. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, I don't know, what, what I'm actually curious to ask you that. Like, what are your thoughts on it? Because I know you've kind of played around with this kind of stuff in your own training and racing. Oh, just, um, just listening to the latest few episodes um, made me uh, tinker with it some again, you know, mm -hmm. and... Um, and increase the fat in my in my diet and then go out and, and work out. Um with less carbs, fewer carbs. And yeah, once you're used to it, it, it seems to like only affect your top, top end, right? Yeah. And with practice, you could easily um, know, get the signals, you know, and monitor yourself and know, you know, I, I'm, I'm about to go hard because it's getting to be the end of the race, right? Like uh, Ben mm -hmm. Greenfield was saying at the end of that Ironman where he went catagenic through the whole race. He just had to, right, and he, then finally... You're he just... blew up at the end because he's going so hard at the end, you know, because it's like the last bit. And um, But then uh, the whole question you got to ask yourself is like, should, what, uh, should you even... You shouldn't try to max it out like these guys are doing, right? Like, uh, you don't have, you don't have to max it out like these guys are doing, but because they're going so low carb that they're, um, uh, yeah, it's difficult to live that way, you know? And then who exactly. knows, who knows what it's doing to you and your body like over long term. But the fact in that chart that the spectrum was so wide, it made me think like you can definitely increase your fat. And bring down your carb requirements down mm -hmm. um, uh, lower if you feel like that's something that um, you're tired of being so carb dependent during a race or during during your daily life. You I know? think you can manipulate it pretty well too. You know, and this is kind of like where I'm the way I'm living it out personally right now is um, you know trying to stay as metabolically efficient as possible. And but not be a hundred percent low carb because as I've said, I I, I know I said on my show and I, I forget if I said it on your show specifically, but I think you know there was a while there where I went way too low carb during Ironman training and it didn't work out that well for me. Yeah. Now that I look back on that, I definitely think there's probably other variables involved in that. You know, health and stress were maybe not ideal, so I can't blame just low carb in that sense. Although I don't think it's necessarily helping the matter, but I think there's a way to kind of 
time it and manipulate it so you can be low carb when you need to be, but still have carbs in your diet, um, carb carb refueling, and still get the benefits. And that's kind of like, and you'll hear even more in part three, like the practical application. Like even look at someone like Zach, you know, he does not, he does not claim to always be in a ketogenic state Mm -hmm. and he does not claim to be extremely low carb either, you know, and he's training at a level and yeah. Dr. Bullock even, you know, kind of um, backed this up too, saying, like, he's got to eat things like sweet potatoes and whatnot. Like, he's just the sheer volume of what this guy is doing in his training yeah. um, and at the, you know, the level. And then during racing, too, he eats things like banana chips, you know. So, yeah. obviously, there's going to be an element of carb in there, too. I think for most of us, like, the cool thing, like, that I really like sharing through this is that um, we can get healthier and we can teach our body to perform better. And then if we utilize these tools, you know, we can then kind of have more balance through it all. And there is a place for carbohydrate within all that. Um, yeah. It's just a matter of understanding a little bit more of the science of it. So hopefully through these shows, hopefully through conversations like we're having, you know, people can just like maybe uh, figure out how to put it into practice in their own lives to start seeing that metabolic efficiency. Because Again, like going back to the idea, like will it actually make you perform better? I believe for the the your everyday amateur, yeah, I actually do think because you're going to be spending a much greater time in a fat burning state, which mm-hmm. is going to spare your glycogen, which is going to allow you to survive and persevere a lot longer to into a race without having to slow down. Like Brett, wouldn't you agree that like the probably the biggest thing for most amateurs is that we just hit the wall and we just eventually have to start walking and slowing down before the race is over. Yeah. There's, but then, but then it, the crazy thing, Tony, is it gets really complicated because, oh, yeah, yeah. because some, uh, uh, filial and, and these other super coaches will say you don't, you hit the wall because you need, you're unable to eat carbs because you haven't eaten enough carbs while training and so you need to eat more carbs while training so you can learn to stomach the carbs and yeah you know i've definitely heard that camp too yeah um, and th- i th- my opinion on that is i think that that's something that if you're a professional athlete a per- you know doing iron man right that that's yeah. something that maybe you ought to play around with to see so that you got maximum power, like the whole race. But I don't know if that's something that an average age grouper should be doing, you know? like. Well, look, I, I think it takes maybe one to three sessions in your key workouts, your race day simulation workouts, you know, um, or yeah. like a spike or run that you're doing, race intensity, water, paces. All it takes is one to three sessions to train your body to be able to handle the kind of carbohydrate that you're going to need to take in during the race. Yeah. Um, you know, or you can start, you know, toying with some of the other kinds of uh, fuels that are out there, uh, the UCAN, the Vespas, things of that nature, um, seeing if that's something that will work for you. But I think you can achieve, like, I think you can get, still have carbs on race day, um, practice it very minimally. And that's it. You don't need to have everything every single time you go out and train. And the low-carb feeling before workouts is really where you're going to dial in that metabolic efficiency. Yeah. So check this out. I, I realized just the other day that one of my problems, I, I posted a wor- on my bike ride where halfway, two-thirds through my bike ride, I bonked. But I bonked because I'm a uh, – oh, hold on. 
<clears throat> my dog's angry. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> hey, go away. I'm talking to Tawny. You gotta respect the Tawns. Go, get out of here. <laughs> hey, Kai. Quality. When they come in, can you tell them that I'm on the phone for a podcast interview? Okay. Hey, get hey, psst, psst, get out of here. Mommy's here, and Uncle Uncle John. <sighs> okay. Jeez. And John, well, John's a show. character. He'll stick his head in and start like laughing at me and making fun of me and so, podcasting. <laughs> that when you first start out podcasting, you're you're like, oh my god, I can't have all these interruptions. Then you realize it's actually part of the flavor of the show, you know? Oh, for sure. It's okay. yeah. your show, man. You do it so well. <laughs> I learned to quit <laughs> to quit trying to filter it out. Um, so. Well, then people realize you're a real person, you know. Um, I love it. Uh, oh, yeah, here they all come. Great. And my nephew. So what's, what's the drama going on out there? Why is the dog barking? Oh, he barks, you know, because it, uh, life happens. Life exists outside. In fact, I'm going to lock the door. Okay, so I was riding my bike, and then I blew up, you right? Bonked. I bonked. But I bonk from actually overfueling. My stomach shuts down from eating mm. too much carbs, you know? And, yeah, absolutely. And so lately I've been experimenting with doing a lot less carbs. And guess what? I feel fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, Brad, I got to yeah. say, I'm so grateful for a guy like you because you've done so much sort of self-experimentation uh-huh. throughout the years on like all the nutritional tweaks and hacks and you name it. And you share all of your experiences and uh-huh. you're so open. I, I don't know. I love that. I wish there was a little bit more of that. Um, oh, good yeah. Job it. The thing is, is I, I, I really don't promote a specific diet or training style. I like polarized right now. But I, um, because I've learned over the years that I could change at any minute, you know, and be like, oh, that doesn't work for me. (laughs) And, um, but, uh, what's crazy is, uh, oh, and the other thing that keeps me going is I really believe that I have in me a a really fast Ironman, um, and I've never achieved it. So I keep trying different things to get it done, you know, because on on paper. What's your fast Ironman goal? Uh, sub 10. Okay. So I um uh on paper with my watts and my running, you know, like my 10k's and, you know, speeds. You know, you can calculate out what you should do if you had a great Ironman. Okay. Um I'm a 9 a 9:45 or something like that. You gotcha. know? Yeah, and I'm like and I keep doing I keep blowing up on the run, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Oh, I need to train. I keep trying to train differently, eat differently, and try to figure it out, you know, the riddle of like how to make it actually happen." Um so you're exactly the type of athlete I'd like to take on and coach because there's so many like, you know, it's not like you're a newbie and it's fresh. Like there's like you already have so much experience, you've tried so much, so it's like what is going to be yeah. the thing or, you know, handful of things that gets you to that A race. Like that, that kind of stuff is what interests me and thrills me so much in this world. It's just crazy. Like I just can't get enough of it. I love it. Like when I hang out with John Hirsch, uh, who's a pro, you know, and yeah. we'll be talking and he'll, he'll ask me something about, 
about kind of like what we're talking about now. And I'll just say, John, I just think I should be way faster than I am. And, you know, pros are tired of age groupers talking about how fast they could be. (laughs) He just rolls his eyes. He's like, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, no, John, seriously, I really could be a lot faster. It just drives me crazy. And he's like, well, you got to put in like 30 hours a week or something. I'm like, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't don't, think so at all. I have really good, I'm a high responder to strength work, you know, and like, I, I can get strong really fast and I'm psycho competitive. And so this is, this is um, the thing I figured out just the other day, over the past few workouts, is my reaction to overfueling, to me, it, I've realized it feels exactly to me um, like I'm underfueling. Mm. I get lightheaded, mm-hmm. and then guess what I do, is I pour more sugar on it. And then, yeah, and you're getting leaky gut, you're probably causing some like dehydration in there, because you know, you're probably absorbing liquid into the gut to try to... Uh, break everything down and push it through and it's just getting backed up, you know? Yeah. And it's then, science. So it's by, science. <laughs> by the time I can survive a half Ironman, um, but the last two half Ironmans I've done, I went uh, top 10 in my age group, you know, and uh, but still couldn't eat anything on the run whatsoever and was getting lightheaded on the run. Um, and that's from overfueling on the bike, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think you're on the right path, though, into kind of honing in on, like, what eventually is going to make the difference, and it's going to be a nutrition thing. I would, again, like, you know, I would advise this to most athletes, you know, if you're working with a coach, like, or a nutritionist or something, though, like, do a diet log, and I want to see a snapshot into your world for a period of time to really kind of see how it's all going down, Um because, again, it's not necessarily just going to be about, like, what you ate for breakfast that one time and then what you had on the bike ride. It's going to be a, a lot deeper than that for sure. And then, you know, the second to that is I would, for someone like you who wants to kind of get to that high level and that high end, or even if it's just for, like, that one day, mm-hmm. is, like, when was the last time you've had, like, you know, health testing, functional testing, blood testing, and all that kind of stuff done? Uh, this year I've had stuff, blood tests, yeah. Okay. I, you know, I think taking it a step further and kind of going like deep into the hormones and everything, you know, you can find out a lot about uh, how your body is functioning and if there's any gap that you need to fill in. Because, you know, the more I learn about this stuff, like there's no one set of supplements that's right for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's definitely a supplement or two that's probably needed in our diets to fill some sort of gap and sometimes that can be the missing link for things like this yeah. you know I also look at a guy like you too and I know I, I can't imagine that you know you're overly stressed and your adrenal fatigue like, I don't get that from you just yeah. kind of I have been. Um, That's why when you were having trouble um, with your being too low carb and stuff yeah. and you and I were talking um, I've been in that boat from not eating enough mm-hmm. and uh and was telling you, man, you ought to look into, man, well, man, <laughs> you, ought to, man. you ought to look into uh, upping your carbs because I think your hormones are out of whack from not enough yeah. carbs. And then, um, yeah, I upped my carbs. This was a few years ago. And then all of a sudden felt amazing. And I was like, holy, yeah. holy crap, I wasn't eating enough. And, you know, going back to like the faster study and the mm-hmm. podcast that we're doing on Dirt Planet, you know, um, we, in the beginning, I wanted to make an effort to even kind of define like low carb or maybe point out that there's not necessarily a de- definition of a clear cut grams per day thing because 
it's going to be very individual on how people react to this kind of stuff. Again, that's why I'm saying, like, for an endurance athlete to go ketogenic, I think, you know, if you're not very careful with it, you're sort of playing with fire. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel the same way, honestly, like, about even going vegetarian. Like, unless you're, like, a rich role and you, you have someone, like, his wife cooking a fabulous meal that she seems to be cooking, like, vegetarian yeah. i don't know you know you got to be careful with that kind of stuff yeah yeah um uh, as an endurance athlete you're burning so many carbs a day and then it can vary like so much a day based on what you're doing that that you need to your carb intake needs to climb up and down uh yeah uh, commensurately i think is the word mm-hmm. and then um and people get into low carb well then they think that they can like do two they can do that because they did that low yesterday and it worked that they're going to do that again today and it just backfires there needs to be a refueling and you know the more like i i like in the more it makes sense to do this kind of refueling even may it may not sound like as conventional as Mm -hmm. um at night uh the night before um or you know just like at dinner or something that's a good time to refuel kind of repack the glycogen stores and then You'll, you know, set your liver and muscle off with the right amount of glycogen, wake up in the morning, have a lower-carb breakfast, go out training, and your body's still going to be able to have that, you know, baseline of glycogen in the muscles and the liver and whatnot. And then the low-carb breakfast or whatever you have before your workout is going to be there to promote the higher fat burning and everything. So, um, but that said, too, like, you know, you I, I personally believe that you don't have to be all or nothing with that kind of stuff. Like, I will differ from, say, a Ben Greenfield because I'll wake up one morning and I'll be like, man, all I want is, like, oatmeal or buckwheat growth or, like, sweet potato carbs, bring it on, let's make some pancakes. And I do that kind of stuff. I give yeah. in to it because I don't like being overly restrictive. I don't think it's healthy. No, it's um, and I, I find that you can still achieve the goals that you want to achieve with your metabolic efficiency by having that kind of balance. It's when you start depriving yourself. I don't know. It's just like, I think, I guess there's certain people that can handle that and be fine with it. I just don't think that it's necessarily like, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, so tell me more about you coaching me. How does this go down? Oh, well, you know, um, I have I would always open a spot into uh-huh. um, my world for a guy like what? you. I have a pretty cool roster of athletes right now. Even Dr. Minkoff, um, who's been on the Dirt Planet for years now, uh-huh. you know, he and I were having a side conversation, and I was like, "Let me help you," and he's like, "Let's do it." So I'm coaching him for Iron Man this year. Uh-huh. Um, so wait, how do you yeah. how do you coach people? Because then uh, do you use Training Peaks? Do you? Uh, I use Training Peaks, and uh-huh. but I I I'm big on communication, so like. Training Peaks is not just about adding in a workout for an athlete to do. It's about the athlete giving me snapshots into their every single day. Like, uh-huh. I like to see sleep hours, HRV, massive comments. You know, I, I even, like, you know, I'm promoting athletes. Like, let me know, like, you know, this is when I want you to take a walk and, like, chill. And um, I do uh, functional assessments. And I've actually started doing those via Skype. So I can, you know, get on you, uh, get on you on the video, and we can look over like your body and see how things are functioning, where any gaps are. It's there's just a lot of individualization with it, and for that reason, I actually don't take on that many athletes at all anymore. Um, but, but the group I do have are like they're it's like all in, like you're it's a very holistic approach. Yeah. So imagine like if we didn't if if you coached me, and then we podcasted about it. 
So we'll have to have a little side conversation off the air real quick because you're you're actually uh, striking a very uh, something that's been on my mind for a long time Do a now. Series but I of shows where I talk about <laughs> what it's like being coached by Tawny, right? Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Seriously, oh my god, we'll have to have another conversation after this interview because it's so funny to even that this is even going right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody, bye. We're talking. Tony and I are going to talk later. <laughs> I don't know. I just I get really excited though about like uh-huh. these ideas. I hate to call them like hacks because I'm kind of getting over that word, but like ways that we can and kind of like take a more holistic approach with coaching. You know, I was even just at a business lunch before this and, you know, the idea of like uh, Brock came up of like writing like preset plans and selling them and everything. And I'm like, I just can't do that. I feel like that's like, I can't so either. I, yeah. It's just not. I know exactly I how to do that. And I know a coach yeah. that, that does that. Um, and you, you write out, you, they write out a lot of coaches do this. They'll write out the entire season for somebody and mm-hmm. it's just, stopped. Oh my God, no way. Yeah, it's just a stock plan. They've been a coach forever, you know, and they'll write out a stock plan. They'll have a stock plan, you know, like uh, nine months to an Ironman, right? Every single workout, you know, over the entire time. And then in training peaks, they put it in there and then they reveal, because you can hide workouts, they reveal like a couple weeks at a time or something. And it's not custom written whatsoever. I didn't even know that was possible yeah you can totally do that yeah and i've done the furthest i've ever gone is done like a like a couple or three weeks of a block of a training block that i really like Mm -hmm. and i'll have that saved i haven't done this in years though Uh, i would have that saved and then i would copy and paste that in you know Mm -hmm. and then then i would go in and modify the heck out of it and so what um what i do now is i write everybody's workout by hand every week yeah, me too. Yeah. And sometimes or like if a half a week. Gets, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I'm like, you know, right, if someone gets sick, you know, for example, one of my athletes, her husband got sick and we tried yeah. everything to let her not get sick, but she did. So we're like on day to day right now, you know, yeah. until she's like out of it. Yeah. Um, now, I'll, but, co- I'll copy and paste a workout, you know, from my, I have like a, I have an individual workout like library that I kind of yeah, use. Yeah, same. Yeah. And I'll be like, okay, easy, a one hour easy bike ride. That's you know, it actually takes me almost as long to copy and paste it as it is just to write it one hour. Easy That's bike. my problem. So I've yeah. saved all these fabulous workouts that I've written over the years, but then to take the time to actually go into the library and like dig up the workout that I want and then uh-huh. customize it based on like that person's zones or whatever. Like I just end up rewriting workouts. Like I never yeah. even use a library that I create. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. I'm like probably the most inefficient coach in that sense. Like I'm sure there's so many coaches doing it so much faster and, but I don't know, whatever. I have a system down. I like what I do for people. So yeah, it is what I it like is. it too. I read the comments that they've put in about how they how they feel over what I've given them. That's what it's really all about. Yeah. I mean, that's and then I build them their next week based on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I, man. I, I look exactly. at their I look at their a whatever races they got coming up, and I build this week based on last week's comments, and then how long it is until the race, and then also their volume that they've been doing and kind of eyeball it and see if they need a break by their comments. How? I just 
thought of something. How the heck do you do this? Because I coach and I do a podcast for a living, and that's pretty much it, you know? Uh-huh. And you, this is, this is just both your side hobbies. What the hell? <laughs> I'm hyper. <laughs> you are totally hyper because you're training and you're working full-time and you're a great dad and an involved uh-huh. family man, like... I'm, indust- wow, that's, that's I'm industrious. I don't know what it is because my parents will tell you I'm the laziest person in the world. I lay around. How I do are you ever lazy? Maybe, okay, do you cook a lot? No. No, okay, so the smartest thing I've ever done is I got that sponsorship <laughs> from Freebirds Burrito. I just go in there. You got a sponsorship from them? Listen, okay, this is what happened. They go, Brett, we really love you coming in and being so nice all the time. Because I'm happy because I'm, I'm happy in there because it's the most awesome burrito yeah. shop in the world. I'm like, hey, and I actually talk to every single person that ever makes me a burrito. And these are your minimum wage, like worker types, right? And they're like, yeah, they love me because I come in and I actually ask them how they're doing, you know? And they're like, and that's just the way I'm at, the way I am. And then they're like, uh-huh. so after a while, after going there for years, you know, they're, they're like, um, hey, we want to do something for you what can we do for you? And, and I said, do you know what? Actually the best, the cheapest thing for you, that's also the most awesome for me is for you just to give me a free burrito every once in a while. Cause that costs you nothing. Yeah, totally. You know, it's rice and beans and some veggies, you know, it costs them nothing to give me a free burrito. And they're a chain too. I think I've eaten at one of theirs like in LA area. Yeah. Right? They've, they've, they've grown and they're like, they're like, okay, no problem. And, That's so cool. Yeah, and so I eat there all the time because when you go pico de gallo, how healthy is that for you? I mean, that's like the best stuff in the, the world. The best. Yeah. Yeah. And they fresh, do black know, beans, no. ranch style beans, um, uh, mixed salad greens, like whatever you want, you know, and different kinds of meats. And There's stuff. a Mexican place by me that John and that my boyfriend and I go to, like our go-to. I should um, start being a little, a little more friendly like this. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I'm like mean or anything yeah. but you know sometimes it's just kind of like we're illegally parked we run in to get the food and <laughs> like, yeah food sponsorship kind of is where rush. it's at i, I hey, like it pro triathletes out there you're trying to get sponsorships get sponsored by chipotle Freebirds. <laughs> um not mcdonald's though not coca-cola no please no. no i thought about trader joe's once and yeah. i actually kind of pursued it but they didn't really it sounds no. like they don't do a lot of sponsor events but not really people I, you know what I've totally found yeah. is if somebody's interested in you, they're the best sponsor ever. If they approach you, yeah. if you approach That's, them, they are so hard to keep. Yep. Yeah. 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 I agree. Yeah. It's interesting to, you know, those are the things that, the things that I have brought into my world in the years being an athlete and the podcast host and everything. Mm-hmm. They're a hundred percent products that I even believe in regardless of if they're a sponsor of mine or not, you know? Yeah. So that's, I think that's definitely gets down to the root of it. Well, that's interesting stuff. Um, I like it and I'm glad. Yeah. All right. We're done with this conversation. We're going to talk to Tawny offline. Everybody. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me back on. It's been a while and it feels good to be back, you know, right where we left off. Yeah, totally. It's good to have you back. I'm glad to see all the stuff that you're doing. Huh? I'm glad to see all the stuff that you're doing. It looks cool. Yeah, yeah, we're keeping it busy for sure. I got a little more help these days, so that's making me opening up my time a little bit to be able to pursue all these awesome podcasts with, like, total detail, you know, do my research and, you Uh know, really kind of kill it. So I'm having fun, and, you know, I don't know when this 
podcast is coming out. It's the third in our Faster Study series. We'll be out or, out or not. Actually, that's coming out tomorrow. So, yeah, I'm oh, sure by the time everyone hears this, then I the take, whole series will be out there. I take so long to put out shows. I've got uh, two other well, you interviews. You do it on another level. <laughs> well, I do. I I do podcasting like if it if it takes takes like three hours to put out a podcast, let's say, right? With all the yeah. editing and upload, I'm just guessing. I'll do half an hour a day, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I, I do a part of it and then, because there's a million little chores to get it done. And I'll do half an hour here, half an hour there, half an hour here, half an hour there. And then finally I'll have a show. And the whole time I'm getting emails from the person I interviewed. When's my show coming out? <laughs> like, I know. That's, that's been a tough like, thing. Like I've been, uh, I started doing interviews in advance, but then I realized like that wasn't really fun because then you're just like having this file sitting around mm-hmm. and, you know, I'd rather just yeah. kind of, even though it's more work on, you know, probably our end to just keep it like day to day the best way i don't know well but then you got to interview the person uh you know while the you got to strike while the iron's hot because they may not be available you know yeah that too i mean that's a huge part of it for sure and timely stuff like if you're looking at big races like when we're in kona yeah especially yeah because because pros are traveling you know and they're like um uh they're hard to get a hold of you know so you never know what they're doing definitely cool all right well thanks brett and um yeah, well, definitely, I need to continue this conversation. Okay. Everybody, hang tight. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Cool. Let me stop the recorder. Cool. Here we go. Bang. All right. Thank you so much, Tawny. Always great to have her on the show. I have told her that the show that we recorded together, the Zendurance Project, Project Zendurance, that she's working on now, Man, we have really good chemistry talking back and forth about, um, we both really know what we're talking about and we know ourselves really well. We both know the sport and endurance really well. So uh, the conversation that we're having is really good about uh, what to do, what to eat, how to train, all the different science about things and bouncing ideas off of each other. Super cool. So go check it out, Endurance Planet Radio. Okay, let's go ahead and get to, before we do the training log, we have, uh, wait, hold on. All right, I'm back. Sorry. The cat started started hawking up a hairball, so I had to run and get him off the carpet and put him on the uh on the kitchen floor instead. Oh my god, the life of a uh, of an age grouper. This is a real podcast about real stuff. Okay. Let's see. Let's go back to donations to the show. So, you can help support Zen and Yard of Triathlon by donating on the left-hand side by PayPal. And if you donate to the show, you can send in questions all you want, and I will answer them. And I was a certified USAT triathlon coach, and I've been doing the sport for 13 years. And I'm also a gadget nut, so I have tons of experience and tons of knowledge and know lots of people that can I can ask questions to and help you out. So here we go. First off, a last show... We had a question about how to do heart rate in the pool. And I said, I knew that Polar had a watch that would transmit uh, in the water because it uses the older analog frequencies. And the newer digital frequencies are blocked by water. And somebody chimed in, and his name, 
his or her name, his Rahm, R-A-H-M 255 on Twitter, uh, wrote in and said, the Polar RCX5 transmits heart rate underwater. So there you go. I'm not crazy. I knew one did that. All right. And we have an email from Peter. Let's see where he's in the UK. So hello, Brett, old chap. <laughs> Thanks for letting me know the audit juice is on its way. I don't know. That's Australian, isn't it? Okay. I love the show. Keep up the good work. Everything is great here in the UK. The triathlon season is imminent. <laughs> is that good or bad? And I am training for my first half iron distance in August. Okay. So uh, I should back up and say um, I, uh, I'm a reseller of Hornet Juice because I tried it and it blew my mind. And they... Uh, started working with me and wanted to know if they could advertise on the show. And I said, absolutely. So you can go to the right side of Zen and Yard Triathlon and order Hornet Juice, which we'll get to in a minute. When you start hearing these emails of people trying this, uh, you may really, really want to uh, try some out. And uh, let's go. Let's, blah, 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 blah. let's go with the rest of this email. Okay, listening to Zen and Yard Triathlon encouraged me to get out and do my first Olympic distance in 2013. I remember my first Olympic distance. It was freaking hard. Uh, thanks for the encouragement. My family have also benefited from triathlon as we all took part in a local sprint as a relay team. Oh, my God. Oh, I need to do that. We got three people in my family. Why have I not thought of that? Oh, my God. We got to do that. I can't believe I just thought of that. <laughs> oh, but who does what? Oh, we should. Oh, man, that is so cool. Um, okay. And won the relay category because no one else turned up to take part as a relay team. There you go. First place. <laughs> hey, you got to be in it to win it, man. A win's a win and we all train for it. That's the important part. I bet you that was a lot of fun. I can't think of very little triathlon negatives apart from trying to fit it in. Yeah, because it's three sports and being a bit tired sometimes. I uh, hope you and your family are all well. Best lip wishes from Lubber, and it's pronounced Luffborough. L O U G H B O R U G H. Cheers, ta ta. <laughs> okay. And Matthew Froese sent in a donation. And by the way, these donations really, really help because a lot of Zen Yard Triathlon is, uh, is biking. And the amount of miles that we put in on, on a bike just destroys it. And I just got my bike out of the shop. It went in with a quote of 140 and came out with a, the actual price of 170. We're talking about uh, the chain was all stretched out, um, new, new pulleys in the rear derailleur. Um, because they were just destroyed and the headset was coming apart from sweat from being on the trainer and all that so i really appreciate this uh this show uh donors uh you all do a million things and uh one thing is to keep the bike alive instead of uh instead of blowing apart like a like a keg of dynamite okay uh m webb how's it going and uh we got another donation from Oh, it's from MWeb. Okay. Uh, hi, Brett. Thanks. Things are going great in Chesapeake, Virginia. I really enjoy your podcast, the training log, family adventures, and your chats are informative and entertaining. I finally had to try out the Hornet Juice, <laughs> and I'm anxious to see if it helps my training for the Kinetic Half Eagle Man and Ironman Maryland. That's how it is. 
I just said IMMD. I was trying to figure out which one that is. I am in the 50 to 54 age group. Maryland will be my second full Ironman, and my goal is to break 12 hours. That's hard to do. Good luck. You can do it. Um, 12 hours, totally doable. Uh, I did Ironman Louisville last year and completed it in 1312. Louisville is typically really hot and humid, so I bet you can do better in Maryland. Uh, any tips on how to shave off an hour would be appreciated. I got the simple hydration bottle that you recommended before. I love it. And use it during my long runs and races. Keep up the great work. Yes. Tips to shave an hour off of 13 hours and down to 12 Okay, now you're needing to to do that. You need to up the power on your bike a little bit. You need to start looking at aerodynamics um, on the bike and getting uh, more aero lower is not necessarily better, uh, but you want to spend more time in the aero bars if, if possible. And it's it's totally possible to spend the entire bike ride in aero, aero position. Um, you need to learn how to spend more and more and more time in aero position and then only sit up when going uphill. And on your longer rides, uh, and during your, um, well, not during your longer rides, but during all your riding, start mixing in some uh, intervals for like four minutes, three to four minutes going really hard so that it burns. And uh, that'll up your power potential so that biking um, will be easier. You go farther before you fade. And then... Make sure you're doing bricks and don't eat uh, the last half hour on the bike and then run off of that and make sure that your fueling is dialed in so that you can really, really run off the bike. And one thing that you can try doing some of, I had some really good results with this and I think Dave Scott used to do this, is bike an hour, run an hour, bike an hour, run an hour, bike an hour, run an hour, <laughs> like that. Do it like for like four hours. And what that does is it really teaches you to respect um, how the bike impacts your run, and it teaches you to back off of the freaking bike because um, as you keep doing these runs off the bike, you see how it, you see how the biking impacts your running sooner um, than later. And but you're doing a four-hour workout, um, and yeah, definitely uh, start nailing down your nutrition and. The other thing is totally train for the course. Figure out the course. How hilly is it? And then train for just a slightly bit harder than what the course is so that when you actually do the course, um, it's easier than what you trained on. So Ironman Texas, for example, um, it's a little bit harder where I live than at Ironman Texas. So I train here and I find the hardest hills here. And then when I go do Ironman Texas, it seems like it's really... It's really flat compared to here. Um, yeah, so start with that. And uh, we have a donation from uh, Daniel Stark. Oh, and then nothing, let's go back to you, uh, MWeb. The um, work on around 300 calories per hour on the bike, maybe 350 uh, if, if, if possible. And uh, get your fueling up there so that you can have a, a nice run off the bike. And then on the run, um, just eat what you can and uh, stay hydrated. And remember, when you're taking in 300 calories per hour, to that you need to um, you need to drink enough water to digest that 300 calories per hour. A lot of people do 300 calories per hour and then not enough water with it, and it makes them sick because it's too strong. 
<coughs> okay. Um, got another one from Mark Webb. How did I do that? I got two in here. Things are going great here. I'm getting ready for Iron Man Chattanooga 70.3. Maybe it's a different M Webb. You get Mark Webb? I'm sure you've heard this before, but I catch myself looking over my shoulder on my bike when cars pass you on the podcast. <laughs> Cracks me up every time. Thanks for the hornet juice. Yeah, that's funny. Spiros Fetzes, what's going on, man? From Libertyville, Illinois. And Thomas Brock, thanks for the mail and the hornet juice. I'm excited to try it leading up to the Flying Pirate Half Marathon in April. Just listen to your latest Zentri show with Rich Roll and John Hirsch. Oh, that was such a great show. So much good knowledge and entertainment at the same time. Uh, thanks for all you do. Hey, no problem. Uh, both of those guys are epic athletes, and they're both uh, my really good friends. So talking with them is a really, it's a blast. So go and check out that podcast. It's just the last episode. It's a lot of fun. Uh, longtime donor, Allison Frutos donated. Uh, Becky Torres donated and sent in an email. Thank you so much for the Hornet Juice. This order was the order from January was my first time trying it, and it was amazing! Exclamation point! I just placed an order for some more. I love listening to your podcast and appreciate your insight, commentary, and advice. I ran my first sprint triathlon in April 2013 on my first son's birthday! Exclamation point! I had literally never been on a road bike until two months before. Okay, that is the proper use of the word "literally" right there. I like that. Okay, and had only gone on three bike rides before the race, totaling about 90 miles. Despite my lack of preparation, I was hooked on triathlon after that race. Uh, since then, I've run a handful of sprint distance races, but had a baby in April 2014 and C-section. Oh, man. Uh, so I felt like I had to start training all over again uh, once I had recovered from surgery. Yeah, I heard those are rough. Um I am now training for Ironman 70.3 in Boulder this year. Over the past several weeks, I've been working towards increasing my running distance. And with the help of Hornet Juice, last Saturday I ran my first half marathon distance at an 8.49 pace. That's pretty good. I'm an attorney working full-time. My husband and I have a real estate investment business. We have a small farm, and my two kids will be one and three in April. That's cute. Uh, needless to say, I struggle to make the time to train. Yeah. But uh, get that baby jogger going and get the attach a bike behind you. It's so much fun. Uh, but I really appreciate your insight into balancing a busy life while making time for training. Um, thanks for the podcast and thanks for the Hornet Juice. Take care. Yeah. Um, balancing life. This is me now talking. Balancing life with um, and work with triathlon training. Um, you know, I got an agreement at work where I can take a little bit longer at lunch, um, and, uh, and then I work more on the weekends, you know, uh, from home doing stuff or swing by the office and do stuff, so I can get like like a lunch training in a little bit, and uh, there's a lot you can get done if you ask. There's also a lot you can get done if you work for yourself. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, I wish I worked for myself. Uh, let's see. Oh, crap. I hit a button, and now everything went away. Thomas Weilert. Sent in a nice donation. Erica from Oregon sent in a donation. She said, things are so good in Oregon, exclamation point. We've had some incredible weather as of late. It's going to be 74 degrees today. This is my third order of Hornet juice. It's pretty amazing stuff. Thanks so much for the introduction as I've upped my distance with my runs, swims, and rides. 
I'm not feeling exhausted and instead feeling stronger. I might actually get through my 2015 race season in one piece. And thanks for reading my previous email during the podcast that aired last week. Loved it. Exclamation point. Um, by the way, if you write something with exclamation points, I always say exclamation point. I like doing that. John Barnot, test me. John Barnowski, Brett, love the podcast. Figure I've listened to at least 100 episodes over the last three years, so I decided to charge myself a dollar per. <laughs> <laughs> won't put you in a higher tax bracket but i wanted to show my sincere appreciation for your hard work and insightful podcast i have to admit that sometimes when i hear the opening music in your triathlon stud and studettes line i feel like i'm going to puke because i started listening to you when i was training for my first sprint a few years ago so i associate the opening credits with standing on the beach waiting to start the swim with without somehow puking from my nerves also wanted to say that your interactions with your family are inspiring uh, I have an active wife and two small but very active girls, and it's tough to know if you're pushing too hard, not enough, being too selfish with your time, etc. So to know that someone out there like yourself is getting it done and doing it right, or getting it done right, is a big help. Uh, let me let me interject here for a second. Yeah, you don't know if you're doing too much, if you're bugging them too much, um, pushing too hard, not pushing enough, unless uh, you do a little bit of the zen and got to do this in and uh, be mindful and pay attention to them and and how they react body signals tone of voice everything there's a right amount you know and there's a right the right amount is different for different people and so if you just go off on your own track and just yell at them to you know you need to run more or something like that um, that's that's inappropriate uh, pushing you ask are you tired you want to do more if you if you want to do what's holding you back you know do you want to do less why do you want to do less uh do you feel like you have enough energy do you want to sleep do you want to this has to do with everything not just definitely not just triathlon i mean that's the tiniest bit of everything uh homework school uh school play learning an instrument you know stuff like that okay anyway uh i don't have a specific question but i'm coming down for galveston 70.3 so can you impart any local knowledge about the race course area etc would love to catch up with you there and say what's up if i don't see you best of luck john yes listen to the rest of the show i go over galveston in detail specifically because you asked and it gave me the idea to do a whole episode on it okay tyler moyer longtime donor uh peter salzen and then Carl, thanks for all you do, Brett. This is Carl talking. I've been a listener for six plus years. Holy crap, that's a long time. Uh, over recent weeks, you've helped me through some long nights. You're a good companion. Keep the rubber side down. All the best, Carl. P.S. Is the Garmin really worth giving up the Ambit for? Well, that depends. The Ambit is made by Sunto, and Sunto makes hellaciously awesome gear that is super durable. Um, I found that it's a little bit more um, definitely awesome for ultra running, and uh, it's a little bit more uh, European-centric uh, mindset, um, and Garmin is definitely tuned more towards the American uh, mindset of how we expect things to perform and, and be done, and like, you know, like formats and layouts and, and uh, I don't know, distances and just menus and things like that, and um uh, I thought I would give the uh, I thought I'd give the Garmin a try um, because the uh, 920 XT is like the ultimate triathlon watch, and I thought I would try it and see um, 
see how it worked out. And, uh, and it's loaded with all kinds of cool stuff uh, compared to the Ambit. Um, sometimes I miss the uh, Ambit. I had the Ambit 2. Sometimes I miss the Ambit 2. Um, I do uh, really enjoy the Garmin. So it's pretty much an even swap. Uh, I think the Garmin's better for triathlon, perhaps. But the... Um, the uh, it just kind of depends on who you are. So um, you should definitely look into it and uh, and see. You can go to dcrainmaker.com and look at the comparison between the two and kind of see which one is uh, the best for you. And uh, yeah, I was uh, swimming this morning and I was there was something where I hit a button on the Garmin and I was like, oh, the Ambit used to do that better. <laughs> You know, but I'm very happy with the Garmin as well. So it's, you know, it's just different stuff. They're all very competitive. It's more of like, how do you want the watch to look? And, and uh, um, I know the, the Sunto has just a radical uh, altimeter in it, uh, altimeter barometer that I believe is way more effective than the Garmin 920 uh, XT, which may have some limited altitude functions in it. So, but I don't live where it's like really mountainous or anything. So that doesn't matter that much. Um Let's see, more donations. Jason Drury, uh, Dwayne Morin, Tad Wade. That's a kind of a cool name. And then Matt, and he's our last one, and he wrote in and said, just wanted to say thanks for the podcast and your talk about weight management in episode 590. I'm doing my first half iron distance this year, and I know that even though my training is going well, being the heaviest I've been in my life isn't helping. Yeah, I know, that sucks. But you can do it, man. Um, I picked up a scale and started doing a spreadsheet a week ago to keep an eye on what changes get me moving in the right direction. And my weight is already starting to come down. Faster times ahead, exclamation point. And that's the end of his email. But let me say that what gets measured gets improved. And if you don't weigh yourself every morning then and keep track in a way where you actually like write it down or in some kind of you can either like on a piece of paper on the uh, on your refrigerator like draw a graph and then what you do is um but um you have an app on your phone or something like that where you keep track of your weight um but like I said in that episode is you weigh yourself the same time every morning after the same process so if you get up and you have a cup of coffee and you pee and you poop and, and then weigh yourself before you eat do that. Do it like that, like every day, and then you can compare your weight, and then you can see, oh well, that that uh, those cookies I ate yesterday, something I did yesterday made me gain a pound, but the thing I did two days ago made me lose a pound. What's the difference, right? And then over time, you can start losing the habits, the things that make you gain weight, and start gaining the uh, things that make you lose weight down to your ideal weight and you know like what made me tired what made me have energy what you know what made me dehydrated and if you compare day to day um, and you keep track of it like that um, it works really well so that's really cool stuff really cool stuff Um, and that's the way to do it you have to find a way to keep you motivated to um, to uh, weigh yourself every day um, and keep track of it but once you start getting into that habit it's like magic it's great and i read that was the number one thing to uh have people uh lose weight was people that weighed themselves don't wait a week why would you wait a week you'd have no idea if something you're doing is working or not it sounds crazy to me weigh yourself every morning and you put the you put the scale in your way 
So you have to cross the scale to get to the bathroom in the morning or to get to, get to the kitchen or something like that. All right, uh, let's talk a little bit about Hornet Juice, which is a huge sponsor of the show. And Hornet Juice is an amino acid mix of uh, proteins. Come on, I'm trying to get the cat out of the way. I know, come on, get out of here. The, um, <laughs> he's hungry, so he's chewing on a plant. Um, Hornet Juice is an, yeah, an amino acid mix that it's only like 60 calories and it lasts an hour and a half. And uh, what it does is it turns on your body's fat burning uh, metabolism and it opens up these channels that just gives you amazing amounts of solid energy and it's not like a high energy. There's no caffeine or anything like that in it. You don't have like this jittery high. You feel like a diesel motor, like a train, and that nothing can, nothing's going to slow you down. It is just the coolest stuff. And the craziest thing is it comes from killer Japanese hornets, which is a thing for real. That's nuts, first of all. And it comes from the amino acid profile, the mix, the ratio, amino acids in their saliva, because scientists figured out that these bugs are the highest output to weight ratio that the distance to weight ratio that they've ever seen and how are they doing it and basically they're metabolizing fat and how do they do it and it's this uh it's the specific mix of amino acids the ratios and that's how it works in fact if you take it with other proteins it won't work because it messes up the uh, ratio of amino acids in it. So when you take it, you're not supposed to eat other protein stuff. It's kind of cool. It's got instructions like to take it so it works the best. And people usually get uh, first buy, they'll do like a four pack. And then um, <laughs> the next order is like 30. <laughs> it's like, holy crap, this stuff's awesome. And of course, the more you buy, the uh, the cheaper it gets per packet. And uh, you can go to zentrathlon.com and on the right side of the page, go check it out. There's a link if you scroll down. And that's how we do it. All right, let's go ahead and get started with the training log. I love taking people with me and describe uh, the training that I'm doing. Um, not everything day in and day out, but just the interesting stuff and the high points and the low points and how stuff works so that you can get some ideas, uh, like all these emails that you heard, of stuff that works so you can do it too. And it's not about me. It's about all of us. I want us all to be out there uh, getting in as much training as you want and it's it's tricky it's a riddle you got to figure it out how to balance it how to not let things bother you how to get it done it's just a million obstacles in your way of triathlon training so it's just loaded with tricks on how to do it and like i said earlier um, i go on for a long while about how to do the galveston race where the hills are because there are there is two hills (laughs) tiny one's a bridge and the other one's a slope (laughs) And, uh, you know, why you don't want to get in the water, um, why you should definitely should not get in the water before the swim from the beach. It is dangerous, and I tell you why. Uh, Where the roughest pavement in my entire life I've ever seen in a race is at in the Galveston race. It's short, but man, you want to know where it is. And what the, everybody talks about the wind in Galveston, so I talk about that. Like, you know, what's really going on with the wind there? What do you have to worry about? You know, just on and on, all the cool stuff. So let's go ahead and get started with the training log. Here we go. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Kuneli. Hi, everybody. My name is Brett. I'm a triathlete. Hi, Brett. Hi, Brett. 
I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise! Exercise! Yeah! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself! Welcome to a new training log. Start date, March 30th? 2015, leaving the pool. On the way back to... On the way to W to the ERK on a Monday morning. Polarized training back on track. Got a little bit of rest in under me uh, the past few days and went out and knocked out a great bike ride and then a nice swim this morning. Nice and good. But I wanted to start off this training log with a really smart Zen tip for managing uh, the mind. And I have a great Zen cartoon book, which t- actually actually teaches Zen better than anything I've ever seen. <laughs> Cartoons do a great job. It's really good. And uh, there are two monks, and they're about to cross a stream, and then there's a beautiful woman that is uh, on one side of the stream and says, uh, can you help me cross the stream? So one monk, and remember, monk, these monks aren't supposed to touch, touch women and, uh, or anything like that. And, uh, or I don't know, be in love with them or something. Maybe they can touch them. I don't know. It's, it's stupid. But they said, uh, the one monk picks her up and carries her across the stream and then sets her down. And then the two monk, monks keep walking. And a little while later, the second monk just has a blow up fit and says, I can't take it anymore. I can't believe that you picked up that woman and carried her across the stream. I mean, we're monks. And the first monk said, one, she needed help. And two, I put her down a mile back and you are the one that is still carrying her. Ah. Aha. (laughs) So when you notice something that's weighing on your mind and taking up your mental space, it is very smart to drop it as soon as possible because it's conflicting with your ability to be productive or be happy or content. And my example is yesterday or the day before, I started getting into an argument. Yeah, it was yesterday morning. I started getting into an argument with somebody over on Twitter um, over whether or not you should shave your legs. And after the second exchange back with him, I've learned from prior experience that this uh, stupidity, arguing on the internet, is going to... Um, is going to consume, you know, 30% of my brain all day long or something while I try to think of responses to this guy uh, to justify my position. And uh, it would be better to just drop it and move on. So how do you drop it? Well, on Twitter, there is a both a block and a mute button. So I said, I muted him and uh, said... Uh, Hey, sorry, muted. I got other things to do with my day. <laughs> like that. And uh, other better, better things to do with my day than this. And then dropped it. Uh, and then moved on. And I found that... Um, and then the rest of the day, I didn't really think about it. Uh, because I quieted the annoying voice with, with this person that wanted to argue about it. And um, this is a great tip for forums, um, places where people give opinions and you start arguing, comment sections on articles, uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, you just 
you need to be able to master the art of saying your piece and then moving on and never going back to look to see what somebody said and dropping it. So that's your Zen tip for this morning. All right. Enjoy your day. Out. Bing. Oh, wait. <laughs> I thought I'd better, better explain the upside of this. Um, you're, uh, you're trying to have a conversation or trying to get something done or trying to do anything. And then that one unfinished argument is in the back of your mind, taking up your space and, uh, you can't execute a hundred percent because 30% of your brain, uh, power is being reserved to reenact this argument over and over and over again in your head, uh, with, uh, somebody that, that, <laughs> Something that's stupid and somebody that's not even near you and somebody that you've never met or, you know, they don't, don't even care about. And um, the Zen clarity comes from uh, dropping things that don't matter and being able to have 100% to give to what you're working on right now. All right, that's it. Out. Bang. All right, leaving the pool. It's a Wednesday morning. It's the week of Easter saw a notice on the pool door uh, gates whatever um, they're going to be closed it's a city pool and they're going to be closed Friday Saturday and Sunday for Jesus <laughs> and uh, for the Easter bunny and I've got to find a different place to swim and solid training has to do with consistency and I got Ironman, Tactics coming up, got Galveston just before that, half Ironman. And missing workouts when they don't actually have to be missed is a, um, oh, a car in front of me almost hit somebody. That's nice. The, uh, <laughs> listen to the Endurance Planet episode where uh, I uh, <clears throat> give Tawny a happy birthday wish. It's pretty funny. Has to do with driving and talking. The, um, Oh, I need to clip that out and use it in the show. It'd be great. Anyway, you need to be able to find places to work out when the world conspires against you. You got a green arrow, dude. Trying to talk to Tawny Prazak over here. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, a girl on a pink motorcycle. That's cool. I'm... Uh, you got to find uh, your your uh, your workouts, man. And let me tell you, the world is conspiring against you to uh, not get it done. Any goal you have means getting it together. The opposite of getting it together is falling apart. Falling apart is entropy. Entropy is a is it a law of physics? It might be a law of physics where everything tends to fall apart over time into disarray. It's kind of like, um, you know how osmosis, os, osmosis is where water moves across a membrane uh, because, or molecules in water try to move around to even themselves out. Uh, well, the universe is trying to even itself out. Well, guess what? There's a whole lot of empty space <laughs> that it it needs to fill if it wants to even itself out. And to, to fill that empty space, it's got to break apart other things. 
and that other things is your goals. It's your body for one thing, but uh, it's your goals. So you're constantly, constantly fighting against uh, people telling you, oh, don't worry about it, uh, holidays, schedules. The one thing that drives me nuts, one of the many things that drives me nuts, is fighting against societies Amer- in America. We have cake and goddamn pizza for everything, every freaking minute of the day. And uh, for example, um, and a lot of times now it's getting to the point where it's for no reason whatsoever. I was listening to, to the Rich Roll podcast, and he was going for a long run in Marshall, Texas, and he said he counted like fifty something uh, fast food places all in a row. You know, and it's just overwhelming. And while well, he's on a on a jog, and like crappy fast food, and then um, at my work, we've got a, a new employee that uh, showed up, and his her thing to do is to bring candy and pie for um, for everybody, like almost every day, <laughs> and. She thinks she's doing everybody a favor. Like, look at, look, this is great, you know? And there's, and I'm sure there's plenty of people that like it. But for me, I'm like, no, no, keep that stuff away from me, you know? And it's just so much pressure and so much uh, bad environment um, that you're constantly working against. So, in my to do list today, it's Wednesday, is look for a pool that's open. Uh, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, so I can get a swim in over that three-day period. Because if you don't, uh, I got, I could just go out and bike and run and bike and run and bike and run and bike and run. But that's actually not good for you. That'll just uh, blow you up. It's too much of all the same thing, uh, lower body, and it'll uh, wreck you a little bit. And it's not smart. So it'd be better to medicate yourself with a little upper body and some swimming. Uh, take a load off those legs at some point over the weekend and also I want to talk about something else this is really interesting Um, it's a nutrition thing as I don't even know how to explain this as the years have gone on I've found something more and more weird going on with my body and I've been um, the most annoying one was the having to pee while um, while working out, um, having to stop and pee while running, and stop and pee while biking, and it doesn't really make sense. You know, I do drink a lot of coffee, but it just seemed like something weird was going on. The body's reacting to something, and then um, the and I'm okay now. It's gone. But the other thing is uh, going for a workout, a run, and noticing that I can't, couldn't uh, go 15, 20 minutes jogging relatively easy without having a blood sugar crash. Uh, Now, that's not like during the day when I'm just, you know, sitting around, whatever. But for exercising, I was uh, so sugar dependent that I could barely do anything without uh, getting weak, lightheaded, shaky, and um, so what I started doing was uh, cutting back on the fueling 
and then also um, cutting back on the fueling, slowing down, and working my way through these uh, sugar crashes, and uh, gradually over time, uh, you know, getting them pushed back further and further in the workout until now, they don't happen at all. Um, and what's going on, I believe, is a hypoglycemic reaction to the sugar in the carbs. And the, um, and this is from simple sugars. And my body, the peeing, is my body uh, trying to concentrate uh, blood sugar uh, because um, I don't have any because I'm having a hypoglycemic reaction and that's a wild swing and drop in blood sugar in reaction to um, to the sugar that I'm taking in so it's like a really fast sugar crash and the thing is is this is a, that is a, a precursor for uh, diabetes metabolic syndrome you start having wild blood sugar swings right and I I'm not a hundred percent confident but it's very much like what uh, people have said who've been doing endurance sports for a long time and consuming too much sugar because you get great results with sugar <laughs> um, starting to develop uh, metabolic issues and blood swings and, and uh, blood sugar swings and all kinds of crazy crap. And it's not, it is definitely not good stuff. What bothers me is it's contrary to the advice by the uh, top of the field, some of the top of the field, to um, pour on the carbs and get used to um, uh, being able to absorb carbs. And I'm I don't have an answer for that, but I feel like um, long-term, um, year in, year out, let's say five years of doing that, um, it may start to uh, it may start to uh, really start messing with you, and it may be good advice for short-term, maybe, I don't even know if at all, uh, pros that can uh, train like that, but... Um, Man, not me. <laughs> I do not like that at all, being uh, that carb dependent, and it's uh, scary. So what I did is I got some UCAN from Tawny's website uh, because they have a nice discount, like 15% off or something like that, and um, started training with that to uh, wean myself off because it's, it's like crazy slow reactive carbs, and um, so it lets your body use body fat instead. Um, you are getting carbs, but it's just a trickle. And now um, I'm doing one-hour workouts, one-and-a-half-hour, almost, I haven't done a two-hour yet, with just a scoop of UCAN, almost like 90 calories or something like that. And and pretty soon I'm probably going to do an hour, an hour-and-a-half with nothing. And um, I can totally tell that I'm no longer uh, carb-dependent um, to exercise. Uh, 
and and you shouldn't be. You should not be carb dependent to exercise. You should have plenty of reserves stacked up to uh, do the stuff. And also, I added in a lot more fat into my diet. Um, so my daily diet is um, not so carb dependent. Now, uh, like we were talking with Rich Roll, he was saying, you know, it's really what you do in your workouts that affects your workouts. And um, it's not so much your daily diet. But a lot of people say the opposite of that. So we'll find out more about that because um, you got to watch out with the fat because it is high calorie. <clears throat> and if you're trying to, I, I did put on some weight doing that. So I got to find the balance in here somewhere. Anyway, I got to go into W to the ERK. I got a lot of stuff going on today. And the riddle of endurance continues. All right, out, bang. All right, let's go ahead and talk about Galveston what to do, uh, well, what the race is like. We're going to do a race preview. I've raced Galveston, I don't know, four or five times or something like that. So lots and lots of times. And I've been there when Lance was there, Mr. Armstrong, and I, I don't know, all kinds of crazy stuff. Every weather condition. Why is my watch beeping? Stop it. Okay. <laughs> and all the wildflowers are out. That's pretty. The... Um, The first thing is packet pickup and all that stuff the day before bike drop-off. Um, the race is on a Sunday, so Saturday you go and, uh, yeah, you drop off your bike. It's in this Moody Gardens uh, complex, which is an aquarium and a 3D movie theater and stuff like that. Um, so it's kind of uh, a hotel uh, it's kind of hard to find where it is, so keep walking kind of north, and you'll end up uh, where the big white tent is that you go in, and, and then there's a vendor area um, outside of that. I'm just going to previous years. Who knows this year? And you, um, that's where I usually pick up um, any new equipment that I need for the race, like goggles or something like that. Um, although this year I'm tending to get stuff way ahead of time and, um, it's pretty laid back. And also, uh, the day before the race, there's lots of restaurants along the seawall and I would look, uh, Tortugas is nice, um, and fun. And that's on like 61st street where it hits the seawall. And then there's another Mexican restaurant uh, further down the seawall to the east, northeast, uh, towards Louisiana. And um, there's Subway and Greek restaurant and, you know, just whatever. Um, all kinds of stuff. So the day before. Anyway, park kind of near the, look for the hotel and kind of park around the floor of the first floor of that thing. And... I think that's pretty much it the first day. Um, and then the day of the race, the um, the parking is pretty far away from the transition area. It's a one transition area race, which is always the best. And um, so be prepared for a long walk and... My mom is probably going to come with me this race, uh, and she and Kai 
and my mom has uh, trouble walking far because she's got uh, nerve damage in her feet. It kind of hurts to walk. So we're trying to figure out what to do with her. She's got a handicap parking um, tag that we can put in my car if we want. But the um, what is going on here? Oh, man. I try to be early to work, and I get stuck in a traffic jam all over again. And the, um, but where is the handicapped parking? I don't know. But anyway, so you go to the, you go to the transition area. Your bike should be there from the day before. And somebody was asking, you know, can you switch out wheels and stuff like that the morning of? Oh yeah, totally. Um, the transition area is nice and well lit. Um, no problems there. I'd bring a flash, a headlamp, uh, anyway. So that way you can work with your hands and see what you're doing at the same time, uh, you know, in case you have to pump up your tires and get it to the right PSI and all that. Um, then the uh, race is in waves, age group waves. And it's a popular race, so there's a long time between uh, when the pros the pros start at the ass crack of dawn. And the start for the swim is half a mile, a mile walk from the transition area, something like that. And so you need to walk all the way over there. Um, it's pretty much always been a wetsuit swim, um, but it's not like terribly cold. Uh, and it's in a bayou, um, so it's on the it's on the mainland. It's on an island. Galveston Island is where the race is, but the swim is on the bay side of the island, sorta, and the um, not on the ocean side. And so it'll be calm-ish, but it is the Gulf of Mexico. So it, the Gulf only gets really cold like in December and January. I've been surfing there, and it's been like 55 degrees, which is cold. <laughs> That's cold enough when your head goes underwater, you get an ice cream headache, the shock. But um, this water will be like, I don't know, like 65, 70 or something like that. Anyway, um, a trick that I found out is go while you're waiting, go to the hotel, uh, the, the Moody Gardens hotel and, uh, go around through the lobby and walk around and you can find that there's kind of like a Starbucks with, uh, junk food and whatever you want kind of, uh, in the uh, in there, and you can get some food if you want, but bring food with you. And the bathrooms on the first floor of the hotel, it's a you know it's a four star, five star hotel. It's really really nice. The bathrooms are fantastic. Instead of these porta cans out by the transition area, these bathrooms you can put it. You get into your wetsuit and all this stuff, and nobody cares. Nobody knows that you didn't actually stay at the hotel. So you can walk around the uh, first floor of the hotel and get your um, act together. Put on your wetsuit, eat a snack, uh, go to the bathroom in these like marble slab, uh, beautiful bathrooms with just chrome sinks and all that stuff. And you're like, man, those those people out using the port cans are suckers. <laughs> and it's wonderful. Air conditioned. Let's say the weather, let's say it's cold or whatever outside or raining. You can go in there. And that's, that's actually really, really nice. Okay, then as your uh, race start starts coming along, there's, um, you know, you need to start walking 
to where the uh, swim start is. And the swim start is you jump off of a pier. And, um, but to get to the swim start from anywhere uh, is this walk. And there is a deceiving path to take on the walk that you should not take. It looks like you should swing around to the right and to the east to get around and then get into the uh, start area, the swim start area. And don't do that. It's a dead end. Even though it looks like it shouldn't be, it's a dead end and you're going to spend another five minutes or so, maybe ten minutes, walking back to where you should be. And then you'd have to push through crowds to get to um, your swim start to your wave. So don't do that. When you walk to the swim area, um, go to the shoreline as, as straight as you can and then walk east, the shoreline of the bayou. I'm gonna let this guy go. Come on, merge, dude. Thank you. Um, the shoreline on the bay side of the island. Go up to there, and then uh, walk east, and that'll take you to the um, to the swim start area appropriately. Okay, so then the swim start is you jump off of a pier, and what that whole point the whole point of that is, and they warn you: do not get into the water first to through the beach to um, on the bayside to swim and warm up it is a huge mistake because there are oyster beds right there and you will cut your feet up oyster um, shells are really really sharp on their edges and you will cut the crap out of your feet and then probably get an infection and then flesh-eating bacteria and then your eyes will fall out all kinds of crazy crap um, in that race. So what you're supposed to do instead is there's no swim warm-up except for the couple of minutes while you're waiting for your wave to start. So um, they drop your wave in, you go to the pier, and then you jump in, and then you paddle, paddle around for a couple of minutes while you're waiting for your wave to start. And then you just then they say, go, and then you go. And the wave starts uh, are nice. <clears throat> And it's no big deal. So then uh, you start your swim, and you swim pretty much northeast, east by northeast. And unluckily, that is right in. You wouldn't think it is, but it's actually right into the freaking rising sun, <laughs> and it's blinding uh, if it's a clear sky. So what you do is wear goggles that have. Um, if you want, don't wear dark goggles. Don't wear like tinted goggles because then you can't see. Um, so just be ready for that. Wear something that you can actually see clearly in. So I just, I wear clear goggles and if I have trouble seeing, then I just squint. But um, then you, you, that's a third of the swim that way. And then you take a hard left around uh, a buoy and then you swim west. And depending on the winds and all that stuff, that's where usually you start to pick up some waves and they're rollers. Um, and then you swim about a third of the swim that way. And then you take a, another hard left. So it's almost a triangle. You take another hard left to um, 
to finish out the swim towards shore and the swim finish is pretty much a um, to the right hand side of a big paddle wheeler so that's you know on sh- you know it's uh, docked right there so you look where's the uh, big paddle wheeler and you're going to swim and land kind of to the right of that at least uh, that's from my memory um, go check it out the day before this the swim finish and then you know when you do the whole thing when you're racking your bike and everything you know pick out um, there's palm trees and there's stuff you can kind of landmark off of you know so my bike is I come in from the swim and I I run down to the third aisle and then um, I'm the uh, my bike is you know next to the second palm tree down you know on my aisle or something like that Okay, so then uh, you hop on your bike and there's porta cans and stuff like that if you need to. There's wetsuit strippers on the way out of the water. It's a very short jog to your bike, which is nice. And then you um, do those races where you like get out of the water and then you have to run freaking forever. I'm like, what part of the race was this <laughs> to get to your bike? And then uh, anyway, so you hop on your bike and you start pedaling and you leave the transition area. And there are some uh, twists and turns on a boulevard, but it's, I'd say it's pretty freaking safe. And then you're pedaling along, and then suddenly, uh, really soon, there's a hard right turn on a kind of nondescript street. So you need to know about that. I would look at the course and memorize the street name and the turn. And then um, and you go along, and then there's another turn. And then, uh, and these streets at this moment, are uh, narrowish asphalt kind of junky um, not really nice streets um, with just kind of grass curb no curb just grass on the sides and narrow um, they're they're plenty fi- fine for cycling on but it, it's nothing uh, you just went from a nice boulevard to that so uh, watch out for potholes or anything like that and then um, then you head south for just a a ways, maybe a mile or something, half a mile, uh, and uh, there's the there might be the occasional speed bump uh, while you're getting up to speed, and then um, you hit the seawall, and the seawall was built 100 mm, 115 years ago. The one of the greatest storms in American history that killed the most people was the great hurricane of 1900 and it completely devastated the entire island and the island never fully recovered from it and in response they built a seawall and uh, lifted the island most buildings on the island by a few feet quite a few feet 10 feet something like that Um, and uh, so when you're riding on this road you can tell you're about to get up on the seawall because there's a, a short little hill right so what I do I pedal along and I'm, I've got plenty of speed and then I, because you're going to take a hard right when you get up on this hill because uh, it's a seawall if you went straight you go right into the ocean <laughs> then you're going to take a hard right so you just coast um, up the hill because that'll slow you down enough uh, to take the turn to the right and then once you take that right hand turn now you're on the seawall sea boulevard place and you're going to be riding for a long time like this. So uh, you settle in and get ready for a 
what I'll describe here in a minute, which is a uh, mind-numbing and a, and a real test of your endurance, um, super flat ride. Because what's bad about it is you have no brake. There's no coasting downhill because it is flat. And that tends to wear people out. So we'll talk about that more in a second. I got to go into W to the ERK outbank. All right, I'm back. Let's talk about Galveston bike ride. <clears throat> Whoa, holy crap, there's a car in the lane next to me. <laughs> Almost changed lanes into him. So you're uh, setting off on this bike ride. Uh, Galveston's right on the coast, so you typically have wind, typically, and because uh, there's nothing stopping it. And uh, the Texas coastline is Corpus Christi further down the coast is the windiest uh, place in the continental United States. The only place windier would be Hawaii. Um, that's owned by the U.S., I guess, whatever you want to call it. Populated territory. And let's see, I need to change lanes here. The um, So wind is a significant factor. And the race I did a couple of years ago or last year, we had a front come through. So we had strong wind one direction, and then all of a sudden it flipped and turned the other direction, which made things really interesting. Okay, if you ride your bike um, anywhere where you're used to even the slightest rolling hills whatsoever, this race is going to be a challenge for you because people find it very difficult People like that, people that ride where there's hills or mountains or something, find it very difficult to sustain an easy power for two and a half hours or more. Two hours, two to three to four, you know, whatever, however, however long it's going to take you. You got to be even and it wears you out because what you're doing is, well, one thing, it's the exact same cadence the entire time. And that'll wear you out because there's no variability to give you give yourself a break. So you may find uh, switching gears a little bit, kind of here and there for fun, and self-inducing some coasting every once in a while might actually um, help you out if you're going to have trouble with this. And um, there's a section on my uh, one of my one of my routes that I ride that actually I like to avoid, and it's dead flat for. I don't know, 10 miles or something like that. And I almost always blow up uh, after riding that um, because I've gone too hard. I think what's happening is you have a perception issue that because it's flat, you're used, you're used to going a certain level of effort because you're, you don't know it, but you're used to getting little breaks when you coast downhill or when you pedal easier downhill. And then when it's flat, you get tricked into putting out that hard effort, but then you never get a break. Um, and then you end up uh, cooking yourself. And I'm telling you, flat is deceptive it can really, really wear you out. So what you can do is ride 56 miles on your trainer um, without stopping <laughs> and see what that feels like and then try to run after that. And like, holy crap, man. It is really something else. Um, 
then what's the other thing? Your, um, I guess we'll talk about the uh, the course, the concrete course itself. Uh, um, there's a nice shoulder on the right side of the road, and you ride along, ride along, ride along, and then you go over. Um, it's plenty safe and and uh, it's nice. Uh, you can see the beach a lot of times on the left hand side, and then it's kind of coastal scrub, which is uh, it's not pretty, but it's not ugly, and it's kind of cool, you know. And then um, because there's nothing stopping the wind, there's no real trees or anything like that. Um, you end up uh, really pushing into the wind. Oh, that's the other thing I want to talk about: power meter or heart rate, something. You need something because you're going to have a long, sustained ride into the um, into the wind, and that's another thing that messes people up is they um, turn into a headwind and you ride into a headwind. Well, it's like riding uphill. And what do you do when you ride uphill? If you have a power meter, you'll notice that you push more power when you ride uphill, and um, because wind slows you down, you have another perception issue. It's an illusion that uh, you need to go harder and go faster, and um, it will cook you over time. My, uh, my best story about that is I was doing the 70.3 in New Orleans uh, a few years back, and um, we were riding into a headwind at one point for a long ways, and um, I, was, I, have power, I have power on my bike, so I'm looking at my watts, and I'm like, well, you shouldn't go any faster than this. This is plenty, you know, and uh, people were passing me, you know, because we, because it was a strong wind. So they were passing me because, um, because I was going slow because of the wind and, but I knew my power, I knew what I was doing. And the, um, that was early on in the bike race. And I remember, cause I memorized a map ish kind of uh, for the race, I'm like, man, this section is going to be into the wind for a long time. There's no way that, that this is going to end well for these people. And then later on in the bike ride, those same people that blew by me were, um, were, uh, had blown up and I just, you know, pedaled right on past them, um, because they were going too hard because they were trying to, um, they're riding into a headwind. So Galveston, is pretty much a straight out and back and depending on the wind that day one one way of it is going to be a headwind for you know 20 what is it, 28 miles of headwind that's a long ways so you need to be really really careful of that and otherwise that'll cook you okay then um a few miles before the turnaround there's a, um, a bridge that goes over San Luis, is it the San Luis Pass? Anyway, that bridge is the only tall thing, and it's not even that tall, but it's, uh, it's like maybe a couple stories or something like that. But um, it's going to get you up into, the, up into the wind current even more. So if you have uh, deep dish wheels or something like that, then you need to um, be a little bit cautious going up over that bridge. And the bridge pavement in sections is uh, kind of sketchy and got some exposed stuff and some bumps and potholes and I think maybe a speed bump or two at the beginning and the end because there's like a little toll for cars and stuff so you need to be oh shoot 
Woohoo! <laughs> Go Nissan. I love the engine in this thing. The um, You need to be a little careful about that kind of stuff. And then the turnaround is just a, a straight up turnaround. There's not much to it. Go to uh, Trainer View and look in... Um, go to realtimeathlete.com and draw or use a course from Galveston 70.3 on that thing and you can see uh, where the turnaround is and use that uh, learn the landmarks uh, so yeah use Google Street View it's freaking cool so you know about where the turnaround is because you can see forever on the horizon in, in this race so you'll be able to you know uh, dole out your energy based on what's coming and then same thing on the turnaround you go back up over that bridge and then you get a ride forever and ever and ever and ever and then the part about the race that I don't like is you, uh, you're back up on the, the seawall and now you got to turn left to go to the, um, the transition area. So it's about a mile ride of, after a left-hand turn um, back to the parking lot of this hotel complex and all that stuff to do, yeah, T2. And... That, at first the pavement's okay, but then when it's almost over, the pavement goes to shit. It is unbelievable how bad it is. And what's going on is it's an old airport runway that's probably not even used anymore. And so you're talking about big slabs of concrete. Um, but over time, the slabs, because, you know, this, this could be 80 years old, you know, whatever. Um, the slabs are uneven now because the ground shifted underneath and I'm trying to park and you've got extremely uneven pieces of pavement sticking up. Um, it's rideable, but man, on skinny road bike tires, um, there's sections of it where I was riding, um, and I got hit so hard with pavement that it knocked my bike computer and my front water bottle off my handlebars, and that has never happened before in um, in any race that I've or any bike riding that I've ever ever done. And that's bad. <laughs> so the last mile or so into the transition area, hold on to your crap because it is going to get ugly, ugly, ugly. Stuff falling off of people's bikes. I mean, it is a mess. And I wish there's something they could do about it. Uh, paint the pavement with arrows, like go this way, you know, to, to get around this stuff. Um, but then anyway, uh, you roll into T2, which is the same place as T1. And then you start your run and I got to go swim right now. So uh, we'll cover more of that in a second. Out B. All right. Audio quality is going to suck here for about two minutes while I, uh, while I do this, excuse me, while I whip this out, <laughs> I'm putting the uh, swim gear on the roof of my car, which is a little pro tip. Keep your swim gear in your car and you will always have your swim stuff and you can swim whenever you need to. The big question is it's wet, so how do you keep it from getting all funkadelic in your car? And that's why you either get a pickup truck and you keep it in the back of your car or 
I got an Xterra and I put it in the little cargo roof box that's ventilated on the top and by the time I swim again in a couple days it's dry which is really smart freaking love it <laughs> uh, you don't have to have four-wheel drive Xterra to get the cargo box you can uh, there it goes you get the two-wheel drive and get the cargo box added aftermarket like I did okay uh, one hour and one minute swim, doing uh, warm-up and then intervals. Uh, intervals anywhere from two, three minutes to eight minutes long. Uh, the first one's always shorter because it's harder to get going. And the, long, the last one seems to be the longest. Five intervals. It's just like, it's, this is polarized training. This is just like uh, lifting weights. And you go until it starts to burn. And then you keep the burn and try to sustain it for a few minutes to quite a few minutes until you start to fade and then you stop because uh, then you're done and then you pause and rest for a little bit and go easy and then go hard again and let's have an Amrita bar discount code zen hmm. Okay, excuse me while I eat this. Wait. Hold on. Stop. All right, I'm back. Let's talk about the run. <laughs> well, let's talk about Amrita bars. Amrita bars are awesome. They're super, super healthy and super clean and nice and made out of real food. The ingredient list is really short and understandable because it's nice, good, healthy food. I eat them all the time. And what's the coolest thing is you being able to eat something and then not be like, what the hell's in this? And Amrita bars are nothing but pure good stuff. And let's say an Amrita bar, it's about 200 calories maybe. Um, dates and seeds, pretty much. Let me see how many calories it is. 235. Calories from fat, 63. And all that's in it is uh, fruit and seeds and um, a little bit of fiber you know so it fills you up slow slow acting nice a mix of fast and slow acting because the uh, dates in it are got a lot of energy in them and a lot of people use them for cycling because uh, you can just eat one after the other like one an hour and keep cruising and keep cruising and have a really nice ride and then like I said the coolest thing is that your mind is totally clear of, of of worry about what the heck you're eating it's nice so um, you can get go to amritahealthfoods.com just google amrita a-m-r-i-t-a and they are a huge sponsor of the show um, majorly cool people over there and with the discount code I believe it's zen all caps z-e-n you can get 15% off of an order of amrita bars so go check them out okay the run you come into t2 it's porta cans in t2 if you uh want to get a nice clean run time then use the porta cans in t2 before you hit the run and then um but don't worry there's porta cans on the run plenty and uh the run is a pretty much a looping course uh with uh it's three loops but it's got some out and backs on it, which is fun because you get to see your competition uh, a lot as you're doing this race. Um, and it goes through the grounds of 
this hotel, bazaar pyramid, uh, glass, and hibiscus flower kind of craziness that's going on, and it's it's really cool. I really like it, and um, lots, lots, and lots, and lots of crowds, and uh, it's truly like a festival kind of run. Aid stations, uh, like you're going through the same aid station both ways on either side. There's plenty of room. It is truly an amazing run. It is super cool. Um, dead flat, except for there's one part that has a little bit of a rise on it for like 50 feet. <laughs> and it's not even steep. And it's not even much. But let me tell you, by the third lap, you're like, oh no, here we go again. So plan for that. And then um, there's a, another thing in your training you might want to do is practice a few sharp turns. Um, I've heard uh, one time a couple years ago a pro saying he didn't get the fastest time. He didn't get a PR on his, on his uh, or his fastest time that he thought he could on the race because there was a lot of sharp turns and U-turns, and um, that's what's cool is knowing this, now you can go train for it in uh, practice. When you go out for a run, do some out and backs where you turn around as fast as you can. Like you go down a street and when the street dead ends, turn around as fast as you can and uh, run the other way and get that turning in your hips and your ankles and the uh, slowdown and the re-acceleration, you know, right in the middle of a workout. Because um, it happens quite a bit on this, on this uh, race, not too much, but just, uh, quite a bit and <clears throat> what I do for pacing is the first lap is I kind of feel my legs out it takes about a lap uh, and the laps are about four miles long for you to totally get your legs uh, back under you and a little bit less than a lap and then you're like okay and then the second lap you push it uh, the first lap you're going faster than you think you are because there's an optical illusion again because you just came off the bike uh, when you start running, you feel like you're going like really, really slow because you were just doing like 20 miles an hour. So getting off the bike and then starting to run, you're actually going faster than you think you are. You just can't tell. So just run and let your legs uh, come back under you. Don't push it too much because you're going faster than you think you are. And then uh, second lap, push the pace quite a bit. And then on the third lap, you got about four miles and... Uh, push it hard, you know, you can do anything for four miles, so, you know, like progressively try to negative split it and try to negative split it using the loops to uh, indicate where you are on the course, you don't have to think about it too much, it's pretty cool, and um, the thing is, is on the laps, you know, they're like turn, turn right or turn left if you're, uh, if you're, if you got another lap to go, you know, um, and then finally, the last lap, they're like, go straight to the finish line. And then you finish at the finish line, you go through. It's kind of crowded at the uh, wrap-up area at the finish line, but that's okay. And then uh, the last thing is um, when you get your, um, to get your bike out when you're all done. Oh, I got a thing to say about the airport. To get your bike out when you're all done. Um, there's a long line to check out to get out of there and um, try to get in there as, in that line as soon as you can and to get out because you may if you got to go places because you may be frustrated 
with how long it takes to get your bike out. It's not terrible, but it's not ideal. And then also I wanted to say flying in and out of Houston, um, you've probably already made your flights, but uh, uh, there's two major airports in Houston, and Houston is a lot like L.A., and these airports are on opposite sides of town from each other, and they're way on the uh, outskirts. Um, So you will have... Uh, differing results uh, based on where you fly into. Uh, Galveston is, oh man, it's like an hour and a half south of Houston. And Hobby Airport is on the southeast side of Houston along the way to Galveston. Now, of the two airports in Houston, uh, Galveston, uh, Hobby is the one on the south side. That's the one you want to fly into if you can. And um, it's not much of an airport and, uh, but it's Houston being as huge as it is at one point, it may still be as fourth largest city in the United States. I mean, it is freaking massive. The it's, it's a lot like Los Angeles almost. And you, uh, f- flying into intercontinental Bush airport, whatever they want to call it. I a H, uh, um, on the North on the north side of Houston and it's way on the outskirts of the north side of Houston you've just set yourself up for a monstrous drive through heavy traffic uh, through Houston and uh, Houston isn't like LA where there's a traffic jam 24-7 but it is bad and you don't want to you don't want to do that uh, if you can possibly avoid it Uh, when (laughs) I talk to people from out of town and they're like oh I just picked Hobby and they're going to fly to College Station. College Station's on the northwest side of Houston, way on the northwest side. And uh, I said, no, you should, uh, you should pick Intercontinental for your flight. And they're like, no, I'm going to do Hobby. It's cheaper. And it's like, you know, $30 cheaper or something like that. I'm like, would you pay $30 to get out of a traffic jam for three hours of your life? Uh, it, it is not some kind of inconsequential, just kind of like... Uh, no, it's no big deal. You know, I can save my, I can save a little bit of money. It is terrible to fly into the wrong airport in Houston. So definitely look at a map and look at the scale of things. Uh, cause Houston is huge. And, uh, the, there's some freeway interchanges that go through the middle of town. And then there's, uh, an inner loop, which would be 610 highway 610, um, that has no tolls and, um, it's got a lot of traffic and crowded, and then there's an outer loop around Houston that's a tollway. It's probably called Beltway 8 or something like that. And that is, um, that's got tolls on it. Uh, less traffic, but a much, much monstrous bigger loop around the way outside of Houston. And then um, there's also a toll road from Intercontinental about to downtown maybe or something like that. Uh, but it, I don't know. that. Parallels I-45. Okay, so then the last thing about the run. The bike ride, you probably won't notice it all that much. Um, It'll be humid, humid, humid in Galveston. It's unbelievable how humid it is. And then, um, unless you get really, really, really lucky and you get a north cold wind from a front, but that's really rare. And the, um, especially that time of year. And then the, uh, the bike, you probably won't notice the heat too much. But by the time you hit the run, it's going to start heating up, and it's all this pavement, concrete, and humidity, and uh, really no tree canopy to speak of. 
Um, it's green and pretty, but it's not tree canopy like woods or anything like that. And it is going to get hot, really, 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 really hot. And over the years, as I've gotten faster, um, and I finished the race sooner and sooner and sooner, um, Emily and I now will, uh, be walking to the car as I'm, uh, as I'm wrapping up my run or as I'm getting my bike or waiting for a bike, you know, what, I don't know. We're just walking around and trying to stay in the shade. And it's like, Oh my God, these people, these poor people running in this, it's absolutely brutal. Um, so it's worth, <laughs> it's worth training more to get faster. So you don't, you're not stuck out in the heat of, uh, these races like this. Um, it's weird. It's kind of like, you know, the faster you get the, um, the more miles you can get in, in a shorter amount of time. So it's like being faster helps you get faster, right? Being faster makes you faster. So get faster because your life will be a whole lot better because you won't need to train as much. You don't need to spend as much time out there to get the uh, hours in. And, um, this race is definitely one where the faster you finish the bike, the cooler you are going to be on the run. And then, um, there's some strategies with, with hot races where people purposely go hammer the bike so they can get done sooner so that they can get on the run and um, and then the run is just a um, a uh, 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 trying to stay cool party uh, pouring ice over themselves and just and but the sooner they started the run the less the uh, the heat really influences them so it's something to think about I wouldn't really hammer hammer the, the bike like that, but I would in training so that you're, <laughs> you're faster on the bike on race day. All right. That's it for the, uh, Galveston review. And I hope you all enjoy. I got to go into the grocery store and grab some stuff. Be right back. Out bang. I'm about to head out on a bike ride. I'm sitting here in the street and, uh, uh a little bit of an issue. I've gotten into the habit. I learned this years ago, check your tires for glass and stuff like that before you head out on the ride and um, maybe if you're stopping at a gas station or something like that check them again too it actually takes many miles for a piece of glass to start working its way through your tire and then eventually uh, cause a flat and if you check your tires before every ride quite frequently you will find a piece of glass stuck in your tire um, I guess you could do it after every ride too but definitely before every ride and um, I just pulled a piece of glass out of my tire. So what I do is I keep in my bento box behind my stem a uh, mini tool, which has pliers. Because I've actually found that, I mean, like they can make, they make micro versions of this. Pliers actually come in handy a lot. <laughs> um, pliers and then some, you know, it's got like a blade. And then the tip of that blade is actually really useful, like a little pocket knife to uh, dig stuff out. So it's really, really, really cool. And I just dug out a piece of glass. So, anyway, about to head out on a ride. Let's see if the live tracking on the Garmin works. Out, bang. All right, all right, all right. I'm jogging. Ooh, it's pretty. I'm on a country road. There's a freeway way back behind me. But I'm getting to where it's like super green. It's perfect temperatures outside. It's a little humid. And I'm out on a longer run. We'll kind of see how long it goes up to two hours today maybe longer I don't know 
I made a four hour fuel bottle and put half of it into my uh, into my little running flask. So I'll do two hours and then think about it. And I did a uh, three hour ride. Well, I did a one hour swim yesterday, which you heard. And then I did a three hour ride and had something really interesting happen. I had pretty much a PR for a three hour training ride. Um, 240 watts normalized power. It ended up being 21 and a half miles per hour. Eh, you know, kind of breezy, rolling hills, stuff like that. And I noticed something really cool where I always have a problem with absorbing my fuel. I get start getting sick. And I'm starting to learn that I'm just going a little bit too hard. And that's really hard to deal with. Because if you don't go hard, you're not going fast. <laughs> that's breezy. It's nice outside. But if I convert the effort a little bit into a little bit less aerobic and a little bit more firm on the pedals, maybe slow down the cadence just a tad and just back off the effort. If you push, that's not, it doesn't drive your heart rate up the same as if you spin hard, fast, whatever. And then what it would do, would it, it would actually relax my digestive system. Instead of being intense, I would just kind of push, 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 real relaxed. Instead of spin, 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 spin. And that slight little change Well, what was happening up is up until then, I started, started feeling just the tiniest bit sick. And I was like, eh, what do I do? So I tried what I was just telling you. And started feeling better. Power started coming back on. You're only in your own body, so you have to <laughs> go by what you feel and teach yourself what works and really pay attention. Which gets me into a nice Zen teaching, which is the finger pointing at the moon is not the moon. Oh no, here comes the Dalmatian of doom. Cody, come on. Cody, Kona, come on. That was my old dog. You're my beautiful new dog, come on. Quit eyeballing him. Giving him the ugly eye. So. The moon is speed, strength, health, and fitness. Right? What? And let's say being good at triathlon, if that's what you want. Well. What happens is. 
it's really easy to get sidetracked by what other, peop other people have packaged up and are selling to you as the way. <laughs> There's the Buddha pretty much said, <laughs> there is no easy way. It's all failure, but that's okay. That's good. That's life. Once you realize that, then you can attack your failures and work on them. They're your failures for you to work on. Here's a horsey. You see the horsey? So with your failures, you iterate what works for you, what doesn't. How do you change things up? You keep working. We got some wind. Hold on, I'll be right back. Get out of the wind. All right, I'm back, I think. I think this is the right one. <laughs> so, for everybody that's successful, there's a slight variation on their style of how they did it. And it's a big mistake to try to follow somebody else's style exactly. You'll only get kind of okay results. You know, because everybody's different. Just think about the different things that motivate people or the different things that make people productive. Some people need for it to be dead quiet. Some people need some background noise. Some people need nature. Some people need the city, you know? Some people need to be social. Some people like to be alone. So just like that, there's all different kinds of training solutions is the way you ought to look at it. And you piecemeal together a solution that works for you and you have, have to know that it's not going to work all the time. Because every day you wake up, you're a little different. You can look for patterns and then apply the best solution for you at the moment based on you and also what's coming up. And also... A lot of it has to do with your schedule, your lifestyle, your commitments, your age, body weight, what foods work for you, body type, and what motivates you. I gotta hop off the mic here for a second. Got some people. I don't like podcasting. A bunch of other people are being looked at, talking to myself. All right, we're back. <laughs> so instead of following somebody else's plan, which worked for them, right? I mean, why is there Maffetone running? 
and Jack Daniels running. God knows who else, you know? All these different running styles. Prefontaine took off fast from the start. I would say that's dumb. <laughs> Draft off of people until the, in the end, <laughs> until the finish line, you know, which works really well for a lot of people. But you got to train and do things as if you're writing your own book on how to do stuff, right? You need to solve it and you need to write it. All right, sorry. Had an issue with the recorder there. And you could write a book about the medium, <laughs> medium carb, polarized training during the week, long, easy workouts during the weekend athlete, and holding down a day job. And saying no to most other things. Success theory. Right? What you aim for is results. And then you put together what works for you. That's how you train. train until I get tired like uh, <laughs> I was hearing Lucho talk about go up for a long run when you're done you're done it works you know some people need exact numbers I was coaching somebody for a long run the other day and I said there's this fear of the marathon Never run a marathon before. They do all this build-up training for it. And he's a good runner. Runs the half marathon in, a mar in an Ironman, right? Dude's got durability. And I said, you need to work on this fear of the marathon. The longer you train for it, the bigger it's going to get. Just go out and run one on your own this weekend. And he said, oh, I don't know, you know, <laughs> that's a little crazy. What if we build up to it? Oh, and so I'm thinking, no, but he doesn't know what I know. He does now is that he can do it. And so I said, how about you go run? What did we settle on? Like... 18 miles or 20 miles or something like that and run it really really easy and then if you feel like it keep going and he did and guess what he was fine but see what he needed to work on was overcoming the fear of a certain distance and not knowing that he could do it that was a that's a really cool story of success right there. Oh, we got a minivan coming around the bend. Let me get out of the way here. Come on, come on. 
I have a coaching method for myself. Oh, here's a garage sale. What do we got? An area rugs. Our new house is going to have those uh, polished concrete floors. We'll see if I want to kill myself after a while with those. Anyway. What I like to do is sign up for something and then train my weakness for that thing, right? So when I do ultra marathons and they're hilly, I gotta train the hills. Hill training for me works great. If what you do is you, you figure out your weakness, this is what works for me. Figure out your weakness, get good at it, and then after that, just keep it in maintenance mode. You know, so I'm out doing a long run right now because my weakness is fueling on long workouts. So you train for long workouts train for success and see what works so that you feel good when they're over like you could keep going once you got that figured out and you're good to go and then you remember what worked make notes on it try to stick with it and the craziest thing in triathlon is that once somebody's good at a sport, they only need to do enough to maintain it. You see this with the swimming. People that swam competitively, <laughs> I swam competitively, and therefore I only need to swim three times a week for about an hour each time. That's it. You know? And what? I actually have to focus on is weight management and running and long distance fueling because my swimming was uh, short stuff. <sighs> Caffeine solved a whole lot of the problems <laughs> in swimming. <sighs> so what I'm cautioning against what I'm saying is, stay true to yourself. Always remember that. Bring it back to your center of what works for you. And be careful of the fad stuff. And remember, everything has something that works. And then you take the pieces and assemble stuff for, that works for you at this time, you know? Everything's pretty much been figured out. <laughs> There's the doggies. But everybody's different and every problem is different. You gotta be like a carpenter and pick the right tool for the job. All right, that's it. More later, out bang. All right, we are back wrapping up the week. Let's do this. Leaving the pool Monday morning. 
listening to the Harland Wayans Harland Wayans podcast is pretty funny. It's a good way to get going on the day. All right, I got a couple of training tips for you, and then a really special, cool surprise. And let's see. Last night I went running, and it was after dinner, and I was feeling pretty good, except my stomach was hurting, and it wasn't absorbing, so it was like kind of sloshing some water a little bit, stuff like that. And so I did the trick that actually you teach kids to do if they have a belly ache is uh, put your get on your knees, put your face to the pavement, stick your ass up in the air, and sit there for a second. And if you have a gas problem, it's going to come out your rear end. And so I let out this huge fart. I was about 40 minutes into a run. It had been bothering me for the past 20. And then stood back up and started running and then was feeling freaking great after that. Um, And that's all I have to say about that. It's not very glamorous, but it works. I did it behind some trees. (laughs) Anyway, um, another thing is while swimming, uh, there is a better way to breathe. You take your breath in and a lot of people, including myself a lot of times, will hold their breath until the last second, until you let it out, you go, (gasps) and hold it, and then right before you're going to take another breath, you let it out, (gasps) take your breath, right? Well, there's actually a better way. One is if you start breathing out immediately, you, um, if you start breathing out immediately, sorry, I had to burp, then you'll, um, reduce the flotation of your front half of your body and you won't plow as much. So if you get that air out, then um, you'll actually sink a little bit more in the front and it'll help your legs come up more in in relation, which is good. Okay, well then how do you let your air out uh, so that it works best for you? Well, there's a really cool trick. If you, you ever notice that when you're going really hard and you're breathing really hard, what do you do with your lips? when you, with your mouth, whenever you're breathing really hard, because you're running really hard. You don't just open your mouth as big as you can and just breathe in and out, right? You don't go (gasps) like that. That doesn't, it doesn't do anything. Um, But what you notice, you make your mouth hole smaller on the out breath. Everybody does this naturally. Why? Well, what it does is when you push out with your lung muscles, your diaphragm, and push out the air, but you've created only a tiny hole for the air to go out with, through, then you've, um, then you're creating a lot of pressure inside your, um, inside your lung cavities, and that air pressure forces air, oxygen across the barrier, and <clears throat> I'm waiting for freaking right hand turners. Golly, this is a long light. Come on, people. You're then you're waiting for um, waiting for then uh, that air pressure creates um, more oxygen for your lungs to use because it forces air into the into the lungs better. Even though it's an out breath, it it gives you more oxygen into your blood. And the reason supposedly I've heard this. Uh, it's harder to breathe at high altitude isn't because there's less oxygen in the air at high altitude. Supposedly, it's about the same. 
It's actually that um, there's less air pressure forcing the air into your uh, lungs. Isn't that cool? So you can simulate and ram air by uh, pursing your lips, and you do this anytime you're breathing hard, and when you breathe out. So what you do is you swim, you take your in-breath, and then immediately start breathing out, but with your lips almost closed into a hole, and your cheeks puffed out if you want to do that. Like that, and it, the pressure that you're putting on with your muscles onto your lungs uh, and your lips to breathe the air out, you're both losing air volume so that uh, your front end sinks more and you're increasing the oxygen uptake into your lungs and you'll find that you can go harder uh, while swimming uh, hard and uh, go longer. It's really, really cool. <sighs> it really, really works. It makes you feel like you got like 10, 20% more uh, energy uh, to go. And it's a trick that you can train yourself to do. All right, let's wrap up with a sponsor and a special, a special thing. Uh, Sound Probiotics. Everybody in the house has gotten sick lately in the past uh, few months, except for me. <laughs> Sound Probiotics are uh, food. It's a little pill you take, and it's food for the healthy bacteria in your gut. It's made specially for athletes. And it is really cool stuff, and you can get 10% off with discount code ZENTRY. Go to soundprobiotics.com. Your body is mostly, your, your immune system, 70% of it is bacteria, and you want the good bacteria, they, they promote the good stuff, and they kill off the bad stuff. And it's actually just amazing how much better you can feel. And the worst thing you can do for triathlon training, of any kind of training, is get sick. And these keep you from getting sick so that you can train and train and train and train and keep getting faster and faster and faster. So Kai just got overstrep. I'm sitting there popping my uh, probiotic pills. <laughs> Sounds probiotics. It's good stuff. All right. I got a special music treat for you. One of the coolest things about running a podcast is I get to play DJ. I could do it. I used to do it a lot more often. I used to play music in almost every episode. And uh, I haven't done that in a while. But I was on Reddit, R-E-D-D-I-T, which is a huge time waste. Uh, except you can hit the random button at the top and come up with these crazy subreddits. And they're just categories of stuff. And I don't even want to get into some of the stuff I've seen on there. Be careful when you check the thing that you're an adult. <laughs> People are into some weird shit. Anyway, oh, that's all. I thought I'd seen it all, and then I saw a subreddit yesterday that I thought was, I couldn't tell if it was funny or serious or what. I mean, it was nuts. But anyway, there's a subreddit called Stoner Rock, and uh, if you're of a certain age, you might know Queens of the Stone Age, which is a really cool band. So it's this like rhythmic, uh, repetitive, droning, uh, heavy, just awesome rock that uh, you would imagine somebody that's stoned out, stoned out like uh, would listen to stoned out I don't know if that's a thing but um, the thing is is it's really good for working out long distance and there was a link to a band called Decasia and it goes to their page I'm putting the links up on Zen Triathlon 
Dot.com. You go there and uh, you can go find some of this yourself from Decasia. And Decasia is when you take, uh, when photos age and then they, they kind of melt almost and they fade um, like video. Uh, it's kind of weird. And so Decasia is what's left over time and it makes like creepy, cool looking artwork. It's really neat. And so that's the name of the band, Decasia, D-E-C-A-S-I-A. And they have this really cool song called Halo, which has nice Indian undertones, a little bit Australian, just and just really kind of takes you to another place and it just keeps going and going and going. And I was listening to some of it while I was on my bike on a three-hour ride. My legs hurt and there's just this wall of sound of just go, 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 like that. It's really, really cool. So I'm introducing you all to Stoner Rock with a band called Decasia and their song called Halo. Go to zentriathlon.com and check out their links and give them some support. Oh, I had an email exchange with uh, some members of the band, which was really cool, and asked them if I could play the song on the show. They said absolutely and to give a shout out to everybody and they went to my uh, website and dug it and they said um, they're from Paris so check them out all right here's Decasia with Halo everybody stay safe out there work the uphills cruise the downhills and keep the rubber side down out